Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dr. Chang? Dr. Chang. Do you have a second, sir? Uh, I suppose. I just came in on the sub with the Swan team. We actually met three years ago. I'm Daniel Faraday. Yes, yes. Uh, you arrived with Lafleur, I remember. Right. Uh, what can I do for you? I need you to order the evacuation of every man, woman, and child on this island. Now, why would I do that? Because that man is on a stretcher as a consequence of the electromagnetic activity that you're drilling unleashed down here. Which is now contained. It's contained down here. But in about six hours, the same thing is going to happen at the site for the Swan Station. Only the energy there is about 30,000 times more powerful, sir. And the accident, it's going to be catastrophic. That is utterly absurd. What could possibly qualify you to make that kind of prediction? I'm from the future. to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking season five episode 14 the variable mike bloom oh no i'm your son asher it's me it was me the whole time (laughs) oh if only you had told me before i started bleeding out of my chest you knew you knew my god the Daniel Faraday farewell. It is here. Uh, back in a flash and then gone just as fast. This is an episode I think we've been anticipating for a long time, Mike. And in the real time, if you listen to this episode, if you listen to Down the Hatch in the real time as we release it, I feel like the timing is so incredible. But the podcast drops on Fridays, so it's it's on August 13th. But we're just two days shy of that special date. 815. Uh, in fact, uh, the day we launched Down the Hatch. So happy uh, second birthday to Down the Hatch. 
Yes, I'm going to curtly put a gift on the table like Eloise Hawking does in that curry restaurant in honor of our second anniversary. How many that beats has the metronome on my garage band been going since we started recording Down the Hatch? Yeah, at least like 8,150. <laughs> I mean, I a lot say. more than that. I think a lot more. I, I have no idea. Say, each podcast is, a, uh, with the exception of maybe a couple or at least over two hours. Yeah. yeah I think there's a lot a lot of beats going on. Maybe some of our mathematicians, RIP Daniel Faraday, could take care of that. But time really flies. You know, I remember when we were talking on 8.15 a year ago, we had that big brouhaha of, hey, let's, you know... Uh, pat ourselves on the backs and then some by listening to some kooky clips we did over the years. You know, I, I just moved into a new place. The world uh, certainly still scary now, but I think, uh, uh, you know, it's certainly scary in a different regard. And to think about how much has passed and yet, like, how little it feels has passed. I mean, since we were talking then, what we got through season four and we're almost at the end of season five i'm trying to recall like I, i'm pretty sure that came around the end of season three if i recall correctly yeah i think that that's right but i think like we, we're not doing a clip show this year we're just acknowledging it right now uh like uh, a lot has happened and nothing has happened <laughs> in some ways that it's like i don't really want to revisit the last year to be perfectly honest but like it is just so wild that we are this deep in right uh that you know two years ago we started this journey and we're still going and we've got the whole rest of the year to go at the very least as we have season six uh on the near horizon but i think much like the the survivors of 815 who are uh, about to really be pressed for the rest of the show. Um, we're hard at work, Mike. We can't miss a beat. We don't have time to stop down and do a bonus show. We've got a, we've got, we've got a, 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 not a hydrogen bomb to detonate, but we got a podcast to make. In six hours, this podcast will explode in your feeds. We've got oh to make God. it done. It's crunch time now. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm, I, it is really, really wild to me that we are here, though. Uh, I know I've said it along the way of like the, the different, like lost ish projects that I have done along the way that have all, uh, just like stopped <laughs> or just like, you know, like, uh, that just like didn't happen all the way, the way that it was intended and like knock on wood. But here we are, like, really close to the end of Season 5, uh, two years on from starting down the hatch. So I'm really excited about it. I'm in a really, really good mood as it pertains to Lost, even though the timing, like, tonal whiplash, right? Like, mm-hmm. is this this is, like, kind of, is it, like, a little morose to be in a good mood right now, Mike, considering no. this very bleak episode of the show? Absolutely not. I think there is inherent beauty and enjoyment that can come out of bleak things, or Damon Lindelof wouldn't have made The Leftovers. So I am... Super excited to talk about the variable, and I'm super excited especially, I'll talk about this at the end as well, but shout out at the top too, because you deserve double the shout outs to the hatchlings out there. Whether you are just joining us, if you're listening in the archives on a binge, or if you've been catching up on the week to week since this has started, it has been, to Josh's point, I think an incredibly fulfilling project for both of us. You know, I think both of us have done podcasts that have lasted years, but neither one of us had done a project where We've recorded every week, basically, on the week for two years straight. You know, that's a 100-plus weeks of lost content. It is wild to me, but it has given me somehow even more appreciation for this absolute gem of a show, to be able to drill into it time and time again with minimal nosebleeds. Yeah, we got to be careful with the drilling. 
uh, it can it can really take you into some terrifying territory. All of the drilling. Um, uh, we should also mention. So we're recording this in a bit of a time crunch, as Josh said. But I can only imagine just the bounty of Barrick's Darmdarian fan <laughs> art we have received in the I past hope. work in response to just this calamitous fan favorite character that was introduced on Down I hope Hash we last do. Week. I hope we do have a lot of Barrick Darmdarian fan art. Um, I could see it going either way. I could see it going like, yeah, there's a lot of Barrick Darmdarian or there's none. Um, so one, <laughs> Nothing one, in between. one way or the other would be my guess. Uh, but yeah, we rec- we're recording the variable just a couple days after we recorded Some Like It Hoth. So as was the case with Some Like It Hoth, we do not have feedback prepared for you for this week of the podcast. So we're going to skip feedback this time out we will get to the feedback um next week and uh we'll certainly resume it we'll have it for the instant as well and then as always we always have that uh that season ender uh recap special where we go into the feedback we'll talk about all the things all the points all the stuff we'll look back we'll do all the feedback that we've missed along the way there um so definitely keep sending that in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Mike, before we continue, I want to take a quick moment to shout out our sponsors for this episode of Post Show Recaps, our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Do you think Eloise Hawking took out a life insurance policy on her son knowing what would happen so she'd receive some sort of windfall of cash? Though I guess, would she? Are is are they allowed to accommodate for people who technically died like thirty years before their current frame of existence? Probably not. I also don't know how you explain this to an insurance agent. Uh, there's a lot to like walk them through. Um, I don't know. But Eloise Hawking, uh, I don't want to put this past her either, because obviously there is very little she is not willing to do. The lengths she is willing to go. Um, this is a, a, a very trippy episode of Lost. The variable that I think, uh, is, is, as I said last time, I think it's viewed as an elite episode of the show. It is a real statement piece of like the destiny idea. Um, yep. even if it's like in defiance of destiny in some ways, but in other ways, it's the fulfillment of destiny. And that idea is embodied in so many different characters. But I think for um, for the character who is so centrally located in the ideas of time travel that come to dominate um, Lost in this era of the show throughout season five, for that central figure in that story, Daniel Faraday, to really represent in his death and his life, whatever happened, happened, I think is a masterstroke, even though it is so deeply, unbelievably awful it's so 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 bleak mike yeah i mean not only because of the ending there are certainly episodes hello two for the road that you know have a certain tone to it and then there's just an absolute gut punch of an ending the punch exists certainly but there are many many blows thrown throughout i think we got a glimpse of it in confirmed dead but up to this point daniel faraday has kind of been perceived as just like quirky knowledgeable guy you know, the expert on time travel. 
this episode truly paints a portrait of Daniel Faraday as an incredibly tragic character. Yes. Not just the way his life ends, but essentially how knowledge of that endpoint from a certain party has allowed his life to be so disastrous. You know, and it's disastrous in a different way than John Locke, who I think has had a, a grim fate befall him, but I think due to his own foibles, as it were. I don't think it's necessarily, well, you had to go to the island to do this, so therefore your dad had to seal your kidney. No, that was more so tragedy that was that was foisted upon by the circumstances. This is more so tragedy in, like, the Greek variety of here is a, an outcome and you have this ability to try to change your fate. You visited the Oracle at Delphi, said you're going to marry your mom and kill your dad. You said, hell no, but the universe makes it happen in a way. There's, it has a sense of course correcting, a path, if you will, to quote many, one of the many Eloise Hawking phrases. And to see that Daniel Faraday's life has been essentially full of suffering, that every time he thinks he's found a bright light, there is something dark and shady obscuring it, just shows that this this man has earned so much sympathy and importance as well. This is an incredibly important episode for the last part of season five. This is Daniel Faraday coming, giving Jack and Kate a mission, and then dying, and them sort of carrying on with it. Let me read a couple of, of interesting factoids I got from Lostpedia, Josh, about how this episode, we talked about how Some Like It Hoth is the end of an era, but apparently the variable is the end of some conventions as well. Yeah, uh, we're killing to- conventions left and right. We're like Eloise Hawking, just shooting conventions out of the sky. Or we're going to be like uh, certain pandemics killing conventions uh, oh or coming God. back in a virtual capacity. Uh, Not so now, acor- damn it. <laughs> According to Lostpedia, this is the last episode of the series to feature flashbacks interspersed with on-island action and focused on only a single character. So again, this is something that has been ingrained in the DNA of the show since the very first episode. And this is the last time we're going to have a solo-centric episode with off-island flashbacks. Because after this, Follow the Leader has no flashbacks. The incident is going to be, uh, you know, entirely centered on a bunch of people. What then you about have, like, Ab- Abby Turno? I mean, that's, I'd, I'd say it's more so like a little bit off-island stuff, but mostly concentrated on the island. Like, this feels devoutly within that mold that Lost was created in. Right, right. Uh, and, so, and so I think this is the, the end in that regard. This is also apparently the last episode in the season and the series to feature events which take place off-island in present time, which is a big deal, right? Ever since we got the flash-forwards introduced at the end of Season 3, 2007 has always been, or 2004 to 2007, has always been a different narrative, uh, you know, a, a narrative that has been present in the DNA of Lost for the past couple seasons. Now we're done with that. We're bidding farewell to 2007, off island after spending a good amount of time with it specifically in season five so we're bidding adieu to a lot and we're also welcoming in as you mentioned obviously a conceit that does not work in hindsight daniel (laughs) faraday is factually wrong but i think there is a lot to say about not just what happens in these next few episodes but like you said the core conceit of free will and destiny considering that next season we are going to get the introduction of a concept of some of you were brought here for a very specific purpose. And I think this is a really fun sci-fi way of setting up a conceit 
that becomes much more mythical and mystical next season. Yeah, I also think um I I I think that like there is just there's something that is uh very like haunting and menacing about this episode and um and really toothsome about it that like Daniel Faraday is you know we were so afraid of the freighters right like we were mm-hmm. we we were afraid of like uh of of what they represented of what they would bring uh, the malevolence of of Charles Widmore and how that would um potentially level uh, the playing field for our characters moving forward, and certainly many of them we were right to fear. Uh, Kimi and his posse, and the, <laughs> and the havoc that they wreaked uh, on the barracks specifically. Um, but then there were these other characters who um, not only were not to be feared, but were to be trusted, and indeed some of them to be loved. And I think that one of the uh, the most immediate breakouts, if not the most immediate breakout, is Daniel Faraday. I think you know Jeremy Davies comes in with this really quirky energy as like the 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 like the the time travel adult scientist he's like mm-hmm. his brain is fried he's got all of these strange ways that he talks like this and he kind of looks at you like this something's going on uh and he just has like this vibe about him he's so singular you haven't seen anybody like daniel faraday on the show when he shows up um and he's he's not dangerous in fact oftentimes he like kind of blows up the spot of the menace and the danger that his colleagues <laughs> are trying to to uphold um he's the person who at least at the start of this season in this very unsettling uh, unsettling circumstance faraday is the guy who's trying to keep everybody together he's trying to like lead the way through science he knows what's going on he's qualified to weigh in on this stuff we should be listening to scientists as a society more often is something Mm -hmm. that the people who are left behind on the island certainly are saying uh and ideally elsewhere as well um and then to have this guy like go through the trauma of losing uh someone who he had fallen in love with whether or not like that story is something that you really care for we we litigated that fairly thoroughly back in the uh in the early going of season 5 but that's such a traumatic thing to happen to him anyway uh to somebody who you're heartbroken for because the show did a really good job of like making you connect with Daniel Faraday, uh, da- uh, Jeremy Davies as an actor did such an excellent job of making you connect with this guy and really feeling at a certain level with this guy that then you keep, you take him off the board for a while, you bring him back in. He's got this huge heroic energy still in that very specific way of just like absentmindedly waving a gun around and obviously <laughs> drawing some attention as a result. Uh, never do- change Daniel Faraday. Never put a weapon in your hand. He's a self-proclaimed beginner for a reason. You know, can I have something for beginners is such an underrated line uh, <laughs> that like he comes back and just when like you're getting back into the groove with him, and you're getting excited about what he's got going on. Poof. He's gone in a horrible way, in this really, really cruel twist of the knife or of the bullet, as it were, um, where you find out that he was, he was, he's been here. He's been in our lives for this specific moment, that this was the thing that turned his entire life, uh, was his death. His entire life is dominated by the way that he leaves this world is such a cruel, awful, horrible thing to have happen to a character 
that really, 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 really didn't deserve it. We've had the heroic death before. Like, Charlie Pace basically gets to go out on his own terms. Like, he owns his death. Um, we've had the, the, the out of nowhere, brutally tragic deaths. Um, whether it's two for the road or Shannon getting shot or Mr. Echo mm-hmm. getting ravaged, although he owns it to some degree as well. Um, what happens to Faraday is so, so dark, is so, so troubling and very much foreboding considering that we are heading into a final season where anything can uh happen um at least in that first run as like you're anticipating the final season and not for nothing the show will go on to kill a few characters that you mm-hmm. really 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 deeply love in awful upsetting ways um and i think that this episode is not just like um notable for its internal qualities of just like being like a really tight thriller um it's not just notable for it being a statement piece on time travel but i think that eloise hawking basically fires off a warning shot and it lodges directly (laughs) through daniel faraday's back and out his sternum and i don't know where the bullet went but maybe somebody else caught it i'm assuming it went into richard alpern it just got absorbed because he he just caught it he just caught it um, that it goes through, uh, that it goes through, uh, wherever it goes through and lodges into us. Uh, and it is this warning of like, we are in the end game now, uh, Doctor Strange style and Doctor Strange is dead. Uh, no! so good luck moving forward. I think so it is think a very is, important Faraday, and notable is, episode. It's Faraday being the Doctor Strange of like, this is the one situation where we can change things as he like silently holds up the finger. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, though, because I am looking at this episode and I'm looking at the life and death of Jeremy Bentham in the retrospect. Because, again, I think certainly in the time we're watching John Locke be alive on the island and we're like, oh, OK, clearly he was resuscitated. But now we know he is dead is dead. Right. We know that that both he and Faraday die in these incredibly dark, depressing ways. But I think it again, it, it also shows how our messages and our brands can also outlive who we are as people. I completely co-sign everything you said with like what his death represents. The fact that he charges in ready to take the season by the reins and then just gets slaughtered is absolutely wild to me. Such a surprise and arguably like one of the biggest highs and lows of a character that we have ever seen on lost. But I think to your point, what this and the lock death and rep and, you know, in retrospect sort of represent to us is like, there are, cruel unfair ways for these big characters to die and while that is a part of that there is a way for them to move on and to live on which again i think really fittingly sets up our secondary location in season six right another environment where these characters do live on and will eventually move on it's really represented thematically here due to the fact that both Locke's edicts and Faraday's edicts are going to be followed by Jack Shepard uh, specifically. I think it's really interesting to map Jack's journey, which as you talked about last week, he's been sitting there mopping up classrooms, just kind of waiting for something to happen because he believed Locke's premonition to come back to the island. Now he finally gets that in his lap. And despite what Faraday insists, I think Jack thinks this is destiny and that's really going to push things forward for the rest of the series. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that this, like, this one feels, like, really, really notable because, like, 
there is no open-ended thing, right? Like, this is an <laughs> open and shut case. Daniel Faraday dies. We watch it happen. He does not spring back to life. At this point in the show, like, we're still not entirely sure what's going on with the John Locke thing. But for mo- for the most part, people are kind of on board with John Locke is back. You know, like, so we haven't really been able at this moment to, like, really kind of internalize that. No, he got he he got murdered in a horrible, hideous way. Uh, and that is like such a, a an astonishingly brutal, terrible thing to happen to such an important character on this show uh, who was so lost and so confused uh, and was just like, uh, you know, scrambling, clutching for purpose. And that's what he bought. Like, that's horrible. Um, but you don't know that yet with Faraday. Like you get that whole statement piece that like sometimes this is how it goes uh, uh-huh. in in the single space of an episode. So it, this makes it like, it's a really devastating hour to watch. Uh, I, I, like, I, I always struggle through the variable of just like kind of almost like Mike watching it between my fingers. Uh, it's like, oh, this is so harsh. This is so, so harsh. I think to your point, of course, though, that like this does like fuel so much of the character journey moving forward. That doesn't for me make it any less like of mm. a, just like a, a stomach turner to, to sit through. Well, not to mention the fact that everything is falling apart. Some Like It Hoth had some elements to it, but it sort of felt like the end of an era, the calm before the storm, in a manner of speaking, that, yes, we do end things with the Phil stuff, but it felt like they had the Baby Ben stuff contained, like they were still trying to keep up the guys. Daniel Faraday comes in and quite literally blows everything up. Uh, He comes in basically giving this grand mission now that is going to now divide the survivors for the time being. This is a very significant episode in that it's going to make Jack V. Sawyer appear again for the first time in quite some time. As Juliet's going to muse here, it's going to blow up the cover they've spent three years building. Essentially, the piece that they had in Dharmaville is over. So it's such a game-changing episode. And we should also point out, Josh, I believe, technically speaking, this is the 100th episode of Lost. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, wow. 100th episode in time for our second birthday. You love it. We just, we love this. This is great. Absolutely fantastic yeah. stuff. And I, um, and I also can't think of a better episode to be number 100, especially in season five, because I think it really contains a lot of what makes Lost Lost, especially in its latter stages, right? Sci-fi concepts, themes of free will and destiny, big character choices, heartbreaking flashbacks. Like, this is actually a great microcosm of the show contained in an hour of television. Who's Mike Rocosm? Uh, we will find out as we go forth into the jungle. He was jungle. the guy that asked uh, Faraday to put the hard hat on. Yeah, I think that's right. Let's talk about The Variable, directed by Paul Edwards. It's a Kitsis and Horowitz joint. It's their best episode. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're going to have to go back. I think you say that about, I think you, Trisha Tanaka is, uh, you love Trisha Tanaka. Mm-hmm. So I think- yeah, no, it's a runner at this point. Uh, <laughs> Kitsis and Horowitz. Every episode is the best Kitsis and Horowitz episode. Is the, insert the uh, moth meme here. Uh, April 29th, 2009, Daniel Faraday dies. Uh, let us get into this episode. It begins in 2007. It begins off the island as Desmond is being brought to the hospital. Uh, we're finally getting some answers as to what happened after he was, uh, shot by Benjamin Linus. Um, it's all, it's all very frantic and sad and terrifying. And Penny and Charlie are both very, very, very concerned. Yeah, so as much as I might be nothing burgered on the Desmond storyline in seasons five and six, I really like the inclusion of the Desmond stuff in this episode. Because let's talk about the title, which is going to obviously key into an important scene later on. 
but the variable seems like the spiritual sequel to The Constant, yeah. which was sort of mainly a Desmond Hume episode, but like almost a Desmond Hume and featuring Daniel Faraday episode, where Faraday plays a huge role in that. And as the uh, last scene indicates, whether or not you mean in the literal perspective or more in the macro perspective, Desmond's presence is something incredibly important to Daniel Faraday. So I really like tying it into here because that mirrors the constant in a way of how these two guys are involved in each other's lives, but also really, really works in retrospect because we're going to find out at the end of this episode, Josh, that Daniel Faraday and Desmond Hume are related. They are half brothers-in-law or however you want to take it. So it's almost like we are showcasing the Faraday family without even realizing it. And so I really like cutting to all this. It might seem a little weird to randomly have two scenes take place in 2007, but considering the previous links between Desmond and Faraday, and considering the blood links that we're soon going to find out about, I think it works 100%. Yeah, the variable. It's a family affair. Uh, (laughs) Eloise Hawking is going to come to Penny asking some, like, innocuous questions about uh, Charlie, and she says, oh, he has has his father's hair. Does Uh, he? Uh, it's luscious, I guess. I don't it's know. Luscious, Not but really. It's blonde. Yeah. I'm yeah. a little, I mean, listen, my son's blonde and I know that he has my hair, but I don't know. I feel like Sonia Wagner has pretty thick hair as well. As well. Yeah. I, I don't think it quite works. Uh, she says it's my fault that Desmond has been shot. And she goes, uh, it was my son's fault. Uh, and Penny goes, your son is Benjamin Linus. And she goes, and oh God, Hawking, good God, no. And Eloise Hawking goes, no, 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 no. My son is Daniel Faraday, she says Daniel. as she looks directly into the camera. <laughs> My son is Daniel Faraday. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel Faraday. I also yeah. love uh, Eloise Hockey's like, temporary indignation of like, oh, good God, no, I'm not talking about the genocidal murderer. Yeah. I'm talking about the, the man I shot to death 30 years ago. My son is Daniel Faraday. Faraday. Um, so back in 1977, Daniel Faraday has returned to the island. He has popped out of the sub. We are picking up straight off of some like at Hoth as he mm-hmm. uh, looks over at Miles. Long time no see. Uh, and Miles is like, wow, it's been so long. I figured you were rich because you had invented the DVD. Yeah, but no, Faraday was uh, working hard in Ann Arbor chilling up there near the Great Lakes when he he said Great Scott and basically, I don't know, I guess someone had either brought the recruitment photo or like they faxed it to him just to be in the in the loop and he saw 815ers on there and okay, so let's let's talk about this because Faraday, it seems like what we're being told is that their arrival is going to completely spin off Faraday from his path, right? From the whatever happened happened of it all to say, no, 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 we can change destiny, we can change fate. How do you feel about their arrival apparently being the game changer to like have Daniel deviate from everything he's been preaching up to this point? Um, I think, so here's where I'm at with Daniel Faraday. I think that he he loses he loses Charlotte in such a traumatic way. He's so upset, he leaves the island. He goes to Ann Arbor. He's probably spending all of this time thinking, is there anything I can do to fix this? Is there anything? What am I overlooking? What am I missing? He's just like lost and spiraling in his own grief. 
I think what he sees with knowing from like his notes and his notebook and everything, right, that um, the incident occurs on such and such date, there is probably like the big circled date on the calendar (laughs) in his office for a very long time. It's this ticking time bomb of destiny. And when he sees that Jack and company have arrived, I imagine for him that is like this thing that he has been like trying to avoid this thing that he has been afraid of this thing that he's been terrified about or you know this looming deadline not that the two things need to be mutually exclusive um is now something that he's like emboldened and ready to go after and i think that for him he i imagine for faraday especially like it's i think kind of evident in the scene he has when he's talking to charlotte where he's like i need you to leave in case what i try to do doesn't work um I think that for Faraday, there's probably some, uh, there's some aspect of himself that is thinking like, either this is going to work and I am going to, uh, change the course of destiny or I am assisting destiny and whatever happened happened. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that the arrival of these people is like the signal that it's like, it's time to like get out of the depression spiral and it's time to do something. I think that's a really interesting perspective. To be frank, uh, I wish we saw more of that. I guess, you know, I, I do feel like there's a there's a part that's missing. I don't think we needed a full Daniel Faraday and Ann Arbor stuff. But while I do feel like it's incredible to see, again, the rise and fall of this character, uh, I do wish we got some more filled in as to that malaise that you talk about. Because I think that completely maps. It just seems, upon first glance especially, that he's like, oh, because these three people arrived, he for some reason thinks that now whatever happened happened isn't real and he can move forward with his destiny. I really like your thoughts about how he essentially was looking for a sign. Again, to compare him to someone like John Locke, he was looking for a reason to go against conventional wisdom because conventional wisdom for him is incredibly depressing, right? That like, okay, Charlotte had to die. There's nothing you can do. You're trapped in the tracks, And if he gets this sign in his head, it can spin this narrative of like, now, wait a minute, are they supposed to be here? Maybe not. So I can go forward with my plan. It's a little cockamamie, but that's the character. And I think given his emotional state at this time, I could understand why this is the spark for the powder keg. Yeah, uh, I think I think it makes a lot of sense to me, Um, because like if the thing is then that like he had like there doesn't seem to be a lot of like uh, hard science behind the like. I forgot about the variables. It's us. It's the people. Yeah, exactly. Like no, it's but the that's people? the people. But the people were already there. You were going around saying like, "No, you're not a variable. You can't do anything." So. Whatever happened, happened. Like that was the thing. Uh, so I don't know. I I I feel like it's either like all of that or uh, or Faraday who went off island and went to the seventies, just like did like copious amounts of drugs. <laughs> Who's not to say both, you know, especially what I don't know what the Hanzos were were smoking up there in in Michigan. But <laughs> so so Faraday is going to go like bang down Jack's door. And so, again, let, I, I want to keep asking questions about Faraday because this is his farewell episode. So this is when Jack sort of connects, you know, tells him your mother told me to get on a plane. Faraday says, I got some bad news. You don't belong here at all. She was wrong. You don't belong here at all. Josh, do you interpret that to mean 
1977? Or do you interpret that to mean on the island in general? On the island. Um, you don't belong here. Uh, none of us do. We're not supposed to do this. This whole horrible turn of events is not supposed to go down. Uh, and we can fix it. We can change it. And I, I wonder if there is like, you know, for Faraday's whole story to be sort of like this, this awful, terrible loop. Is there like this feeling of like as you're getting closer and closer to the end of the journey, do you smell it? Do you know? Uh, and so like he has like this idea of like, uh, we're not supposed to be here. This terrible thing, this horrible thing that we've all been driving towards, it has to end now. Um, I think that that's on his mind in some capacity. Like I think like this idea of like, uh, this, this place is death. You know, I think that those mm-hmm. words have probably played in Faraday's head on a, on a loop. Uh, for, for various a very, reasons, very, mm-hmm, for a very long time now. Um, sorry, Jack, you don't belong here. My mother was wrong. Um, let us uh check in on Daniel and his mother. Uh, the first of two Daniel and Eloise piano scenes in this episode. Let's listen in on little Daniel, sound number one. <laughs> What's wrong, Mom? Didn't you like it? I loved it. It was beautiful, Daniel. Daniel. Do you know what destiny means? No. Destiny means that if one has a special gift then it must be nurtured. How many beats has that metronome counted since you started playing? 864. Your gift, Daniel, is your mind. A mind that is meant for science, mathematics. And it's my job to keep you on your path. So, unfortunately, there's no more time for distractions. I want to keep playing the piano. I can do both. I can make time. If only you could. Okay, this is completely random, but since we are getting into the first post credit scene, can I bring up something that people might only remember from the very first time they watched this episode? Yeah, of course. So this aired in April 2009. In the very first airing of this episode, the lost title sequence was a little different. People might remember if they saw at the time. The lost title sequence was placed amongst some stars... And there was a Starship Enterprise soaring through the O in Lost. 
Uh, people might remember this because I believe J.J. Abrams, of course, he of Pilot Lost fame and nothing else. Lost is not a J.J. Abrams show, people. Please mm-hmm. get that conventionalism out of your head. Mm-hmm. But he was coming out with his uh, new Kelvin-verse version of Star Trek. I Could think you rephrase that-, that real quick? You said coming out wrong. Oh, sorry. Coming out uh, that, that next you. month, I believe, in May 2009. So to sort of like pay it back to someone who helped them all the way back in the beginning, they changed things briefly to have the lost title feature space and the Starship Enterprise. Again, it was taken away in subsequent viewings and now on streaming, it doesn't have that, but it's a nice relic for people who might remember it. That's really funny. Um, It would have been great if they had done a spaceship episode of Lost. Uh, I would have loved that. Well, that this, wasn't that the big theory that the island was a spaceship at one point in time? Yeah, uh, this is probably the spaciest episode of Lost. You know, I mean, it has ways. the biggest space cadet yeah. on the show. Uh, little Daniel Faraday with his little braces, little brace that. face Faraday. Yeah, tickling the keys, uh, playing the piano. Uh, I, I really love. We've talked before about the sort of like the symbolism of the piano with a character like Jack. I really like the recurrence throughout obviously it's going to have a much bigger role in uh in the flash sideways when daniel faraday finally gets to make time and live out his fantasy and be a rock and roll star playing alongside drive shaft but you see when we between this and the next scene we see his skills sort of denigrate right like here he does a great job but i know i paid attention to the other scene at the piano he can't play with both hands uh and i can resonate with that as someone who played piano back in the day and now can no longer play with two hands that like when you don't do it uh you know your your mental aptitude to do multiple things at once sort of disappears from that perspective i love the symbolism of the metronome it's yeah. so small it's so perfect yeah TikTok. i mean i love the fact that daniel faraday's character has always been driven by time uh, and the fact that in this particular instance, despite his insistence that he has had control over time, he still follows the metronome, right, as he keeps playing. And what Daniel Faraday is going to come to on the island is basically saying, like, we're going to break the metronome right now. And I think it's also a great symbol of his mother, I'm assuming, put the metronome in front of him because she represents the metronome. This is a really unique episode for Eloise Hawking. Especially yeah. watching these flashbacks, knowing what she knows. And you can see it so much in the way she regards even little Faraday, right? She describes destiny as if one has a special gift, then it must be nurtured. Not, you must do something. She's trying to, to come across more so like, okay, you have a, a special thing that you're supposed to do, and you must nurture it like it's an egg that's incubating. But the thing that really caught me was Eloise saying, it's my, insert pause here, job to keep you on your path. I think there, it's safe to say Eloise Hawking has instituted some emotional divorce in her relationship with her son. Yes, that this is not, she's not parenting Daniel. She is uh, like employing Daniel, that he has this very, 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 very important job to do. Uh, and if he if he does not do it, uh, then not only does like space time fall apart, but I think like the much bigger thing is, you know, we're going to like, I think we're going to really come to understand Eloise Hawking's motivation next time um, on follow mm-hmm. the leader is really where it becomes clearer that like what she is hoping for is for, is for Faraday to, to pull this off is for Faraday to get this right. 
is for Faraday to, you know, even after his death, to detonate the hydrogen bomb uh, through Jack, and therefore they don't land, and therefore he doesn't come to the freighter, and therefore, and therefore all of this resets, all of this changes, all of this is different, and maybe, just maybe, it erases her horrible, horrible, horrible mistake. So I think it's actually compelling. It's really tempting to think that for Eloise Hawking, everything she's doing is specifically like sort of like TVA style to keep everything Mm -hmm. on track to preserve the sacred timeline. When in reality, I think everything she's doing is to protect the sacred timeline up to a point so that Jack can fulfill the destiny because she doesn't know what happens. Like, does, does it work? Does it work? Does blowing up the bomb work? Or is that the thing that just always happened? Um, so I think that that is a huge part of Eloise's story that is going to run as the undercurrent through all of this. But until that time, she herself not only has to keep fair, like, you know, keeping Faraday on track and, and, you know, encouraging and developing Faraday's aptitude for science and his natural gifts and, uh, you know, pushing him into this place. That's her job. But her other job is to, like, not fall in love with this boy and hurt yeah. herself you know don't fall don't fall in love in the, with the mark it's weird to say but like yeah she knows that this tragic thing has to happen and again we'll certainly chastise Eloise Hawking in certain ways but I cannot imagine looking upon your what looks like your 10 year old son knowing okay one of these days I have to kill this kid You know, uh, and not in like a baby Ben Linus way where it's almost the opposite with Saeed of like, you've done all these things to me as an adult. So let me try to kill you as a kid with Eloise. It's more so I know the end result. And the more I get attached to this, the more heartbreaking this is going to be. Right. There's an end, even if she she hopes that that end doesn't happen. And as she tells Daniel Faraday later, right, like every woman you come into contact with uh, ends up devastated. And I think for Eloise, she's including herself in that. Because she's going to be devastated by what happens. And I think she's trying to protect herself a bit as well. Otherwise, it's going to be incredibly difficult to go through what she does. She even imparted this advice onto Desmond himself back in Flashes Before Your Eyes, right? He had to do this heart-rendering thing of breaking up with Penny in order to preserve this. She's doing it here as well for the good of sending Daniel Faraday to the island. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot going on. It's like, obviously, like... You watch this scene the first time and like you come to find out what Faraday's goals are here. And so like little Daniel uh, saying like, I can make time. I can do both. It's like, uh, okay, cool. Maybe he can. Maybe that's where we're going. And then by the end of the episode, he dies. And so you go and you revisit this episode. And you're like, oh, no, that's absolutely horrible. Rewatching the scene and seeing the pained look on Eloise's face is like, oh, Oh, this is going to go viciously wrong. Um, yeah, and and it's again, it's why it's so tragic is because Daniel Faraday has so much hopeful optimism over the course of this episode. We can change it; it's going to work. And this was voice. There's a, there's a little bit of like an adolescence in there, a bit of a childish naivete that we see was in him as a child was repressed by his mother, who again forced him within these boundaries for a very specific reason. And now that he feels he has broken out of those boundaries, he can be like, no, I'm like a kid again. I'm a kid in a candy store. Yeah, I can play the piano. I can do this too. We can do anything. And he can't. And it's just so brutal. Yeah, it's horrible. 
Um, so Faraday back on the island, he's got an errand to run after he says this to Jack. I'll be right back. Famous last words. This is a horror movie, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Jack is going to go to Sawyer and fill him in because this is again, this is just more and more like I got to report up the food chain. Let me tell Sawyer right. Faraday is back. This is interesting. So Sawyer, Sawyer, you know, uh, loads up a gun. Clearly, they have fill in the closet. Jack says it's six in the morning. This is interesting to me because uh, as DTH listeners might remember, Pierre Chang on this day woke up crisply at 815. So the timing on this is a little sus. Uh, but I guess, you know, timing-wiminess of the island, maybe they don't remember necessarily the because-you-left-timing of it all. Just an interesting thing to point out. Yeah, um, he also, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the timing-wiminess is is absolutely fair. Um, does it take, uh, does it take, like, four hours to get to the Orchid? Probably not, uh, especially because then he's gonna have to go back to, yeah, the timing-wiminess you kind of have to forgive, uh, or get completely hung up on it. There's no, I don't think there's really much like talking it through. Yeah. Is Pierre Cheng's clock two hours, 15 minutes late, maybe? And he just hasn't bothered fixing it, maybe because Could of the be. electromagnetic wonkiness. He's adjusted. He's adjusted to it. Um, Sawyer is going to, at Juliet's behest, bring Jack in to the circle of trust with Phil, Jack, <laughs> Jack, Phil. Uh, really fun stuff with stupid freaking Phil locked in the closet. Um, at the Orchid Station, Faraday comes to speak with Pierre Chang, and we mm-hmm. see that first scene from the entire season basically play out all yes. over again as he comes down with the hard hat on, and Daniel Faraday speaks with the most important character in season five of Lost. Let's listen in. Sound two. Did you hear that? Time travel. How stupid does that guy think we are? Yeah, I just, I just, I had to, it's my episode. It's the last time you're going to get the chance to hear from me for a very long time, if maybe ever. Uh, unless when Mike and Josh remember to bring me along for the way. And why wouldn't they? I'm a very important guy. I'm Saul the Joman. If it wasn't for me, none of this catastrophe would have even happened. You wouldn't have gotten this show you like so much. So you should actually really be thanking me at the end of the day. Um, yeah, I feel like that's fair, Saul. In the, season by the, in the scene by the crick, there's actually Saul Goodman just sort of like taking a leak in the background being like, oh, don't do that. Then this show doesn't exist. And then I can't be a character in season five. I don't want to oh do God. that at all. So maybe there's like a hidden... Daniel, uh, while you're down here, could you actually go back and change time so that I could be on Bracking Bid? Uh, that show that everyone's talking about, Fracking Bad. Like, I want to be on it. I want you to have me there. Then yeah. you do better call Saul and it's with me. I want to start with the guy who Miles spoke to about 20 years from when this actually takes place. I saw that episode. That's uh, that's uh, the, the Dean Norris. I wanted to, he, he, he was he was the dean of my school. I want to get back to that. I want you to put Not, me in. Yeah, Dean like, Norris. I don't know to, what any of you are talking about. He's related to the, the pilot of the original plane, Seth Norris, who's going to crash this plane, unless it doesn't if you want to change things. But now you see, if you don't do this, Breaking Bad doesn't get made. And it especially better call Saul the Fracking Bad. I want to be part of that. for This fracking fad. Uh, so, uh, hi and bye to Saul the Drillman. Uh, uh, we saw him so long ago in season five, and now we see him again here. I love this I, little I guy. Love, I love this guy, and I love to that point, though. What I really love about this episode is how much full circle comes around in this episode in so many different ways. And here we have it where it ties back to the very first scene 
from from the premiere. And again, we still have a lot to go in this season. But I like the fact that we started, we were dropped in the middle, right, of the 70s. Daniel Faraday's there. We're wondering what the hell is going on. And now we have truly come full circle from that perspective, just seeing how far we've come. There are several other full circle moments throughout this episode, but this was the first one I really picked up on. Yeah, I really, really like it. So uh, this actually does, of course, lead us to the other side of the scene that we've been waiting on for so long. Uh, We listened to it at the top of the show. Faraday comes to Pierre Chang, uh, explains to him all the things that are going to happen. We've got six hours until the swan uh, unleashes uh, an electromagnetic uh, wave that is 30,000 times more powerful than what has happened down here. It's going to be a catastrophic accident. And the reason he knows this is because he is from the future. Bum, bum, bum. And on the surface, as they leave the Orchid Station, Miles is helpless but to watch as Daniel Faraday doxes him. Let's listen in. Sound three. Dr. Chang, wait. Wait, wait one second, please. Yes. Wait. Yes. One, You're one from the future. You heard me talking about time travel. Now you've had your fun. Good no, for no. you. Please, Dr. Chang. Just look at my journal, please. Look at these equations. Some of them won't be discovered for another 20 years. Hey, Dr. Chang. Hey, 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 hey Dan, leave the man alone. Sorry, Dr. Chang, I think he had too many drugs on this. Dr. Stop. Chang. Miles is your son. Excuse me. Think about it. A Chinese man named Miles, the same name as your baby, shows up with me from the future. You- you really think this is all coincidence? Is this true? No. Please, stay away from me. Dr. Chang. Dr. Chang! Hey, if you, hey, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? I'm just making sure that your father does what he's supposed to do. And what's that? what i will say again this is tv so of course it doesn't happen but a little bit of a boo on daniel faraday for taking so long to reveal the grandmaster plan in this episode mm-hmm. yeah well he's just stretching it out and like he's on his own planet so it's in it's in character i think that he always keeps pretty tight counsel uh and like i mean even if you think about earlier in the season like he's just like kind of moving at a pace that no one else is really like what do you got going on what's the plan dan like what are we doing here what is all of this and he's like you know it's too too complicated to explain i think so like i'm not gonna uh like so like he's always got this sort of vibe to him um Mm -hmm. you know yeah so we talked about this faraday is gonna be the one to really throw the grenade in the sort of lafleur guys that has been put up over three years which he was a part of for a good portion of time. And I think it shows to the point that you made before. I do think Daniel Ferry feels this is an all or nothing mission. Like obviously he's going to be incredibly surprised that he dies at the hands of his own mother. But I think it's, it's within the realm of possibility that he comes back to the Island thinking, okay, either this works and you know, I defy destiny or it doesn't. And I probably die along the way, but at this point it's worth it. And so I do think him just going like completely for broke, breaking the rules of time travel by revealing he's a time traveler, though he did do that back in Jughead as well. 
uh, him essentially saying like, this all doesn't matter. It's what it's what's ahead that matters really shows his mission and just his penchant to push forward no matter what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and I think like just like Miles having to confront the Pierre Chang of it all is a really good beat in this episode. Yeah, because, uh, you know, Miles is I mean, he, again, they're going to get to Chang eventually. But in this moment, Faraday is going to face his first amount of pushback from Miles, right? Who, as we talked about in Some Like It Hoth, for various reasons, does not want to deal with this issue. Yeah. And so he just completely denies it. Chang's going to write Faraday off. We'll put a pin in that until next episode. Yeah, I mean, he's not really writing him off, right? Because he's like, that's going to like, that's, uh, it's a Faraday seed. Uh, you know, it's yeah, going to exactly. start to linger. It's going to linger. Um, in flashback, um, we see it's graduation day from Oxford uh, as Eloise has showed up to take Daniel out to lunch. And Daniel with his long, luscious locks. Another so wig the, watch, Mike. Yes, the mullet is back. I can't remember if it's the same mullet from the constant, but it's similar at least. Uh, he's got it. It's luscious. It's flowing. And he wants to go out to lunch with Teresa and his mother. And his mother is like, definitely not with Teresa. Yeah, well, I think it's because she saw her matriculating before and saw she fell both down the stairs and up the stairs, and she has nothing for that physical goofery, Teresa. Uh, at at lunch, Daniel was so upset. Like, you were so rude, Mom. Why are you always so rude to everybody? Uh, and she says, don't waste your gift uh, on a woman. Uh, uh-huh. The women in, in your life are only going to be terribly hurt. Uh, speaking from experience, uh, says Eloise Hawking. Yeah, so we really get, I think, probably the biggest introspection into their relationship. And specifically, I think Jeremy Davies does a really great job in these flashback scenes of just showing turmoil. And it's not turmoil in the way that we'll see later on of like, my memory is broken up islands. I'm not sure if I'm here or there thing. Here, he is legitimately, you know, upset. He feels like, as he said, his mother keeps pushing him, pushing him, pushing him. When will it be enough? Again, I think very sympathetic to those of us that have been watching five seasons of Jack Shepard and what he's experienced with his father as well. Obviously, much different circumstances. But I think that you could see that though Eloise has her reasons behind why she's really putting him at arm's length and making sure he does the things he's supposed to do, we see the emotional turmoil it is wreaking on Daniel Faraday, right? He can't live, essentially. He ha- he can't carry on with anybody. He has to focus on his work only and to satisfy his parents. When will it be enough? I mean, it is, but it'll never be enough, Daniel Faraday. And that's the, the saddest answer of it all. It's really, 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 really brutally sad. Uh, and um, he he's going to reveal that he's got this grant uh from from charles widmore uh who's the grant from his name is widmore some industrialist charles widmore he looks says directly he, like, in the camera <laughs> yeah he looks up from his meal and just looks directly at the camera charles widmore eloise doesn't want to fight after that because like it's just another reminder of how much closer he is getting to this predestined point um she came to give him a journal uh and her congratulations in the journal daniel no matter what remember i will always be your mother your mother who shot you. I, I will always shoot you. I mean, love you. Yes. So yeah, I mean, this is a little bit of that causal loop. This is Eloise's version of the compass that Locke gives to Richard at the beginning of season five, right? Yes. She's going to next episode read her own inscription within the journal and now realizes this is a great microcosm of how 
she is continuing this path right now. Like she has to make sure I have to write in this notebook and give this journal to, to <laughs> Faraday so that yeah. he'll use that journal on the island to travel back in time so that he interacts with everyone, shows those equations. I may or may not shoot him. The bomb may or may not get set off and, and change everything. So it's a it's a big piece of thing. It's, you know, a brief story of how Daniel Faraday got his famed journal. But I think the fact that it comes from his mother says everything about how Daniel Faraday's fate has been tied to her in so many ways. This whole in every way, right? Like in every way uh, that his life has always been. And this is, you know, like the Jack Shepard stuff is going to be like uh, kind of bearing this out next season as well of like his life has been driving to this the entire time. Mm -hmm. Um, But like in a, in a much more like literal loopy way uh, uh, we're going to, we're going to come to find all of that out. So the fact that the journal comes from the woman who gave birth to him and also gave death to him uh, is, uh, is (laughs) not lost on me. I love using that term. Now, if someone kills someone, no, I've just given death. I've given you you. death. They've given you death, uh, death, the gift of death. Um, all right, let's go back to the island and let's saddle up with uh, with our friends here in Dharmaville who uh, the party is ending and they need to come up with a plan. And then Daniel Faraday is going to walk in with a plan of his own. Sound number four. All right, people. Party's over. I know y'all just showed up. The rest of those have been here for the past three years. This is our home. Last thing I want to do is leave. But we ain't got no choice. Let you in the closet. I thought he worked for you. Can you convince him that it was all like a misunderstanding? I punched the man in the damn face, Hugo. What am I supposed to say? My fist slipped. How much time do we have before someone realizes he's gone? Not enough. So where do we go? We only got two options. We can either commandeer the sub, get the hell off this island before anyone knows we're gone. Or we can head back in the jungle and start from square one. I'm not getting on that sub if there's a chance that my wife is still on this island. Yeah, me neither. After all we did to get back here, and now we're just going to run off again? Seems kind of wishy-washy. Right. It's two votes for square one. Anybody else want to... Hold your horses. Be right there. Hey, James. Welcome to the meeting, Twitchy. Good to see you again. Pancakes in the kitchen. Help yourself to the punch. He's still crazy. It's on a whole new level, man. (sighs) Great. Jack... I'm sorry if I was rude before. But what I came to do is of critical importance to everyone in this room. Does anyone know where I can find the hostels? Why do you need to know that, Daniel? Because one of them is my mother. And she is the only person on this island who can get us back to where we belong. You ready to hear something wild? Yeah, of course. This is the first 
and last time Daniel Faraday and Hugo Hurley Reyes ever interact in the series. <laughs> so crazy. The two of them have not met each other before this meeting. That's so wild. Uh, that feels that feels wrong, and yet I know that's right. Like then you think about it for like another five seconds, and it's like. Yeah, because Hurley was in Dharmaville the entire time right. of season and then, four. Then, and then, he was with, then he was with mm-hmm. uh, Locke and Ben, and then Faraday was was at the beach in the Zodiac boat while Hurley was in the jungle and then got on the yep. chopper, yeah, they comes never to the had island while Faraday's been away. This is the first time they've ever interacted with each other. Um, that's insane. Uh, I wish that they had more. Um, that's such a bummer. That's such a bummer, but it is what it is. You know, that we're at this stage in Lost where they just like don't have time. I can make time. Well, you, you thought you could. I, I just love how Sawyer AC Slater's it on the chair, by the way. Like that won't be patented for another 10 years, chronologically speaking, but I love that he decides to do it to really get down to business as to the two options they have in this moment. Yeah, JF Sawyer. Uh, yeah, he's he's given them the spiel, you know? Like, uh, I, And I, I would have loved to have seen the rest of the meeting play out because I feel like he wouldn't have done it the same exact way as Horace of like, I want it to be unanimous. He wanted to hear what everyone has to say, uh, I feel like, with Sawyer. Uh, so that's 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 really great. Uh, I love his leadership style uh, with, with Jimmy Ford. I also love when he says, like, yeah, help yourself to the punch. Yeah, punch and pie. I think it's I think it's pound cake and punch actually. I think it's pound cake and punch. So Faraday uh getting a sip of the punch as he is uh telling us what his plan is to uh to punch back against destiny or at least one part of the plan. We got to go and find mom. <laughs> Do you think Sawyer was like pound cake and punch and then he just punches Daniel in the face? Yeah. That would be great. He's just so punch happy after all this like he he's something released with Philly's like wait a minute. I can punch my way out of things. I haven't I punched anyone now. in a while. Yeah, it's been too long. Uh, I think it may have started with Saeed with like punching him in the face with his face. Yeah, and I, I think at that point, so I was like, oh my god, there's a rage that's been uh, unlocked in him. I've been bottling so, this up for so long. And I, I like, I agree that I think seeing more of the the ensemble here could have been a fun moment. Because again, I think Jin and Hurley are, are not going to be having that much more time this season. But it was interesting to hear both of their responses to the whole, okay, take the sub or square one in the jungle, right? Jin says, much like Sun does, no, if there's any chance of finding Sun, why would I leave the island? And Hurley says it feels wishy-washy to leave after they just came. Uh, you can't leave with who you came with. That's in right. In that regard. We know and, uh, this. And, uh, and also, uh, maybe there's something in Hurley that's telling him, like, no, you should hang out on the island for a little bit. I think good things will happen to you when you hang out on the island much longer. Don't leave. Yeah, he's meant to be here. You know, it would be wishy-washy to just go. Um, All right, so we'll see more of what Faraday has got planned in a little while. Um, First, let's do do a flashback, and let's get the other side of Daniel Faraday crying about the Oceanic 815 crash. Such shocking news, Josh, that his hair grows instantaneously between shots. Instantly. Uh, Very, very funny. I know that there's been some continuity stuff along the way, especially in Season 5, that we probably haven't stopped down and examined quite as much. I forgot to mention this last week, slash two days ago for us, that uh, I don't believe... Miles somehow grows a goatee and mustache in, like, the two minutes between whatever happened happened and some like it off this kind of thing happens on television what are you gonna do uh but it is notable here especially in this scene the the hair length difference uh for for faraday um but charles widmore is going to show up so Uh, this is really fun callback i didn't notice this until this viewing 
So there is a, a comic book that is sitting on Daniel's couch as he's sort of just like watching everything happen with 815. It is the same comic book, Josh, that Richard Alpert has when he goes to visit young John Locke in Cabin Fever. And I love that so much. First, because we know that I think that's uh, March has 32 days, right? We talked about that in Whatever Happened Happened, this idea of if you knew you were going to die, could you change your fate? Really ties into Daniel Faraday. But I think there's a lot of similar DNA here, right? Uh, in someone who knows Daniel or like knows what's going to happen to him, assumingly, coming to visit him, almost not on his orders, but like again, sticking to this preordained path providing him with this opportunity, there'll be an initial deviation from it. I guess that also begs the question, because I don't believe we see young Winmore in either in his you know young stage or middle stage ever directly interact with Faraday. But do we think Widmore knows about Daniel Faraday? Yeah, I do. I think that you get the sense of that from the conversation he has with Eloise at the end of the episode, right? Yeah, I would imagine so as well. Because like, again, even though he wasn't around for it, Especially if him and Eloise were knocking boots for quite some time and imagine that she told him about it. She's obviously probably still, I think, in cahoots with him during the 70s that she's probably going to relay this information to him. And so we talk a lot about the Eloise side of things. The Whitmore side of things is incredibly interesting as well. You know, Daniel's never exactly going to have a conversation with his father knowing he's his father. But to see what Whitmore does as well, the tactic he takes in trying to push Daniel on his path, I think is another really interesting dynamic. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about Whitmore as a father to Daniel? Certainly, we've got a big body of work as far as Whitmore as a father to Penelope Whitmore. Um, it's, yeah, it's a little bit. It reminds me a bit of, again, going back to Christian Shepherd, because I guess he is sort of like the hallmark father in a bad way. King Daddy Kwan's a hallmark in a good way. But it reminds me a bit of Par Avion. Right when he drops by to visit Carol Littleton and is just like, hey, Claire, uh, let me help you out. And in that one, I think, obviously, it's much more evident why he's there. But I think it's a similar dynamic, right, of here is someone who kind of wants to be in this person's life. For Winmore, I think it's more so that he feels he has to be. If he has to be the one to bring Winmore to the uh, Faraday to the island, like this is what he has to do. I think it's one reason why he's been absent in his life up to this point. As opposed to Christian Shepherd, where it was more so like, this big thing happened, let me appear in my daughter's life and give her advice. I think Winmore, much like Eloise, is going through the motions of playing his role. So again, he's not really playing the role of father here. I think more so Eloise and Winmore are not parents here. They're advisors. Yeah. They're sitting down with Faraday being like, I think you should do this. This is the path that you're meant to take. They're guidance counselors. And so it's almost tough to regard them as parents in that regard because they're not outright saying they are. Yeah. Uh, he's telling Daniel that, um, uh, what if I told you these people aren't dead? The plane was fake. It was a hoax. I put it there. And Faraday's like, why would you tell me that? And it's like, well, that's a very good question, Daniel. I don't know why I told you that. I probably well, shouldn't have. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Well, Winmore says, you know, you, you probably remember did the next day. I wonder, does this, you know, come from... It, when they met Daniel Faraday back in the day, if it's like, well, he didn't say anything about me planting the plane. So therefore, I assume he had no information about it. But man, if only Faraday did, him and Frank would have had some absolutely lovely conversations, right? Because yeah. Frank would be like, it's all right. I, I, was, I was right the entire time. This is incredible. Uh, but yeah, I mean, speaking of Faraday, I think Jeremy Davies does a really great job here as well, playing adult Faraday, I think is a good way to put it, where 
He's having trouble completing sentences. This is clearly much, much after the experiments he did on himself and Teresa have just left him, like, completely shell-shocked. He's not full Minkowski, necessarily, but, like, clearly his mind is separated in so many different places. And I think he does a good job with it. It does make me wonder if we were missing a type of scene in season four, not exactly on the level of, like, John Locke feeling his toes for the first time in Walkabout, necessarily, but this idea of Faraday, you know, realizing how much the island is healing him. Because right. I think that's our, our assumption, right, is that, like, he has this disconnected memory and the island was healing him in a, in a manner of speaking. Do you think we're missing that in the midst of Faraday just, like, getting back to action with well, everything going on with the constant? I, th- I think, you know, there is, like, if you if you need to place that for yourself, you could have, like, that I'm Daniel Faraday, I'm here to rescue you moment Uh, kind of could be, like, you know, like, sort of, like, he's back you know like i'm i'm i've got myself again like i think like there could be like some interpretation of that i would have loved that i think that it's a it's a good it's a good call that i think something like that would have been really 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 nice to have on the show um i i think about the like you know this condition that's affecting his memories and like is he like minkowski tripping is that something that's going on for him right now and i wonder mike if there is this like period of time for daniel faraday that we as viewers never get but like some of like the emotionality surrounding him Mm. does he see all across his life is there like is there a portion of daniel faraday like during this time that like sees what's coming that knows that gets some of that stuff uh and then coming to the island he like loses that like foresight but does he have some of that foresight right now that's like coming and resetting like memento style guy pierce style i completely think so and it's for one reason and whatever length of hair it is it's him crying at the 815 crash right exactly i I think it's him it's deja vu for him but in this case it's that okay, it's not that I have to link up with these people in the future. I think it's more so I'm linking up with 815 people in the past and it leads to my death, right? Like, I think it is an echo of some sort of memory there uh, from the past or from the future that is going back to him, you know. Again, it's, it's adult, so he doesn't necessarily remember it completely, but it's this sort of, like, feeling. You know, I have a feeling that my heart is linked to 815 and that, you know, my fate is linked to the crash of Oceanic 815 and he can't put his finger on it, especially from Daniel Faraday's perspective. But I do think there is something to his mind sensing something to do with Oceanic 815, whether it be him flashing forward to his time, you know, in 2004 or flashing forward slash back to the 70s and knowing how he's going to be in the mix with these people. Yeah. Um, I think that there's something there. I think there's something there. He does ask, uh, uh, he says to Widmore, you sound like my mother. He says, yeah, we're old friends. <laughs> wink, old wink. Old friends. Wink, wink. He's like, why are you is winking this, at me? Is this the, the, the pop secret song plays a la Arrested Development? Uh, I'm not winking at you. Why are you winking at me? Okay, it's because we had sex. Um, back in 1977, uh, Faraday's got this plan. Sawyer's so want nothing to do with it, but Jack is in. He's in. He's like, all right, I want to, I want to, I want to get involved in this. I want to be a part of whatever you got going on. I find it interesting that Sawyer points out like, no, you know, like you're going against whatever happened, happened. I don't know. To me, this goes a bit against what Sawyer does with the Ben stuff, right? Where he sort of says, screw whatever happened, happened. Like I have to move forward and do this again. I think Sawyer had his reasonings behind it, but I just think it's interesting logic here where he's like, oh, I thought you said this. 
when he himself sort of exercised that idea of, well, maybe this thing did happen and we're a part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can, I can see that. I think like, I, I don't know if the show loses the plot on Sawyer by the end of the season, but like, I do think like, you know, he's a little shaken up right now. Uh, things yeah. are, he's not quite as in he has, control. He has a as man he in his was. closet right now. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard thing to do. Um, everybody though is like going against Sawyer. So like Jack is going to go with Faraday. He convinces Kate to come along to take them to the hostels and he brings up Aaron, which yeah, he said Jack, he would never do. Yeah. I mean, again, this is a really interesting. Really interesting scene for the Sawyer dynamic, right? Because this entire time since they've gotten there, even with the LaFleur stuff, it was always turn to Sawyer. Sawyer will know what to do. He is losing control here, right? Faraday has come in and basically said, no, I have this big, shiny new thing. And everyone's turning here. Uh, you know, Kate is going to be the one to be like, oh, no, we should do this. Uh, you know, and I, but Jack does, even though he's he's really hitting a sore subject by bringing up Aaron, I think he is right that, you know, Oh, the reason I don't know the reason you came back, but I can assume it was not in nineteen seventy seven. And Kate's like, Oh, I mean, yeah, unless Claire happened to time travel with us, which we'll get to in in you know season six. Uh, but yeah, that's that's probably the case. And even Juliet is on Team Jack, right? She just turns to Sawyer and says, "It's over for us here anyway." She is. I mean, Juliet is someone who I think is able to divorce her emo- emotions easily she certainly has her heartbreak but she's someone that knows how to like swallow that bitter pill and then get knocked out on the sub for a few hours so i think it makes sense that she's given this harsh dose of reality of what they need to do that the bubble has burst and she's like all right move it on moving along so she is she's on board too by giving the code miles gives the keys he's not getting involved any more than he already is uh and by passing the keys that is miles's goodbye to daniel faraday um sawyer tells everyone pack your stuff meet back here in 20 minutes we're going back to the beach and we should also mention that i believe this is where sawyer has those words with jack right where he says when you realize the huge mistake you made we'll be back at the beach right where we started yeah that's an incredibly packed line in my opinion more packed than they're going to be in a few minutes because that is i think sawyer saying you know right where we started is from a physical sense right basically being like this is a fruitless mission and uh we're just going to go back to the beach and start over from square one but i kind of feel like this is sawyer like declaring to jack like well it was nice working with you for the time being in a manner of speaking we could only hold this for so long you and me working together but i guess you know we're always not going to see eye to eye in this case. I, I, I think, just find it interesting. I, I think Sawyer's looking at Jack right now. He's like, God, I just, I can't stop thinking about punching you in the face. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm really going to have to do that. By the, I'm going to really have to do that by the end of the day today. Uh, so that will happen. Um, so yeah, because, J- because, because let's remember Sawyer had that talk with Jack where he's like, just sit put, let me do the handling. I think from Sawyer's perspective, he feels like Jack is defying him that like yes. he couldn't follow his orders. And he is now, uh, you know, stepping past his boundaries. I mean, I think what Sawyer isn't necessarily seeing is that it is all falling apart around him. uh, And so he is losing control without Jack. But I think it's an interesting step forward and step backward in honor of Daniel Faraday to this dynamic that they've really the specifically like the rivalry they really had brewing in seasons one and two before Locke stepped into the picture. hundred percent. Um, so Jack and Kate and Faraday are going to head to the motor pool, but Faraday gets sidetracked because there is a kid on a swing set nearby that he needs to have some words with. Here it is. The haunting sound number five. <laughs> Thank you. 
had to have chocolate before dinner. It's okay, sweetheart. I won't tell. My name's Charlotte. What's yours? I'm Daniel. I'm new here. Listen. Do you know Dr. Chang? Uh-huh. Yeah. Hopefully really soon, Dr. Chang is going to ask a bunch of people to get on the submarine and leave the island. When he does, you and your mommy, you're going to have to leave. In case what I do doesn't work, you cannot be here. You have to leave. <laughs> I tried to avoid telling you this. I didn't think I could change things. But maybe I can. Another circle complete, Josh. Yes. Oh, God. It's so rough. I'm not allowed to have chocolate before dinner has never been more upsetting, even though yeah. that first time it was pretty upsetting. But like now getting like this other piece of it is, oh, but it's, no, it's also uh, an indicator that clearly sh- I imagine Charlotte was like triggered by seeing Daniel's face. Right. And like yeah. that's what prompted that that flashback. But yeah, I mean, this is also, though, I think should have been a warning sign to Faraday in the moment of, oh, crap. Yeah, whatever happened, happened. I've been actively avoiding trying to tell Charlotte to leave the island because she told me I would do it. I end up doing it. But again, I think he's so focused on his mission that he doesn't notice that, oh, yeah, we still can cause things to happen in the flow of time. As much as I actively try to avoid making this event occur, it still occurred. It's still occurring. Uh, It would be the kind of thing that, like, I feel like if he wasn't still, like, so grief-addled and time-addled and, and, like, deadline pressurized, that maybe it's like, oh, this is probably a tell that what I'm going to try and do isn't going to work. But I almost feel like for Faraday, it's like, well, what does it matter if it doesn't work? Uh, Like, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Like, I'm, I'm, I may as well be dead anyway. You know, like, I'm like, I'm, I I feel empty inside. So I think like, especially like probably seeing Charlotte here is just going to increase his resolve to at least try. Uh, Even if it's like a fruitless endeavor, he's going to, he's going to at least give it a go. Right, and I think that also, you know, you wonder why is Faraday just so incredibly upset talking with Charlotte. I think for me, it's a memory jogger um, more so than anything. I think it's him just realizing, like, the heartbreak he experienced losing Charlotte, which, again, we should mention, eh, didn't work so much for the audience, but apparently really, really traumatic moment for Daniel Faraday. And I can imagine as someone who probably had this person on his mind, I can imagine there's a difference between, like, having her in your head and then seeing her in person probably drudges up a lot of stuff yeah and so i can imagine that like there's a lot there's a lot loaded in daniel faraday's emotional chamber in that scene as he's he's about to load up his own gun in the motor pool so he goes to the motor pool uh and he gets a gun from kate who gives him like this huge rifle and he's like do you have something for a beginner (laughs) which i love we, we should also mention though this is another full circle moment that i just realized this time around when Daniel Faraday first landed on the island, remember, it was him, Jack, and Kate. 
Yep. And now it's them again. I think that's a really fun moment that the way Daniel Faraday arrives on the island and leaves the island involves the exact same two people. I think it, it's no coincidence that the entirety of the Daniel Faraday story is so circular. Uh, yeah. Time is a flat circle, as another show will say. Um, so he ends up getting a handgun. This one's ready to go, she tells him. Um, when Rosinski and his posse come rolling up and Faraday just like steps out, I was like, Oh, yeah, hey, what's going on, you guys? Like, he waves at them oh, with his gun. <gasps> yeah, like, he's he, got a gun! Yeah, nobody cares what he's saying because he's waving around a gun. When, again, like, guns are often found on Dharma premises. It's why they have some in the motor pool of all places. But you don't actively wave them around. And Radzinski was just coming over to find Faraday because, evidently, it seems like this, this sub of scientists, I know that Faraday came on for different reasons, but I guess they were all sort of recruited to help work on the swan, which unfortunately means they were all part of the incident and might not have made it out. Uh, but, you know, essentially Faraday's missing from that. And as soon as a gun comes out, the firefight starts. And Faraday is going to shed the first of what ends up being a lot of blood here when a bullet grazes him in the neck. Yeah, he gets, like, shot in the neck. Uh, Jack, who... Jack is always a wild man with a gun, I feel yeah. like. Uh, we talked about this before, uh, where he just, like, shoots so intensely. Uh, I don't know if there's, like, a not intense way to shoot a gun, but, like, it, there is, like, something that feels very charged about when Jack just, like, goes in. Like, he's just been waiting for an excuse to go off. Uh, and he shoots... This is total, like, action movie stuff, right? Like, big bada-boom. Uh, that nearly consumes uh, Rosinski and everybody. Uh, yeah, they're they, able to they, drive they, off and just barely escape in like this torchy action sequence. Right. They shoot, I think, the van that they plow, uh, show up in, right? It blows up. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they grab a van, kick crashes it into the Dharma van, and then they're able to drive off with like some, some spare shots being thrown at them. So yeah, if it hasn't become abundantly clear at this point that the reverie of Dharmaville is now broken... It's as shattered as the windshield on yeah. the Jeep right now. Like, there is firefight within the prem the confines, Dharma on Dharma violence. It's going down. A little triggering, uh, literally, to see all this violence in the barracks again, Mike. Uh, mm, gotta that's very say. true. Uh, I hate Rosinski too, so much, so I love seeing him get the losing end of this firefight. Ugh. Love yeah, it's very much it. out of the the action movie, right? Of like uh, the stormtrooper esque firing. They got away, despite yeah, the fact that they had three here. three yeah. guns trained on them, and one of them was shot in the neck. Yes, uh, but they still lose. Um, all right, let's do um, one more flashback. Uh, much like uh, Faraday's entire time on the island uh, has this full circle quality, right? Um, we get a full circle quality to the flashback portion of this episode that began with a piano playing Daniel Faraday, uh, and his mother having a conversation. And so let us return to those exact circumstances. Sound number six. <laughs> Hello, Daniel. Mother. When did you get here? Oh, I just arrived. I would have called you, but 
I would have forgot anyway. I hear you have been offered a job. How do you know that? Well, it's my business to know. I came here, Daniel, to tell you that it is very important that you say yes to Mr. Widmore. That you accept this opportunity. I can't. He needs someone who can do really, really complex space-time calibrations and calculate bearings, and I just... I don't want to do that anymore. Daniel, this place he mentioned to you, this island, did he tell you that it could make you better? What if it's true? Why, then you could go on with your work. Just think of all you could accomplish. You really want me to, to go? Will it make you proud of me? Yes, Daniel. It will. Coffin, hammer uh, meat nail meat coffin. Drill um, meat nail. <laughs> J- coffin. Jill meet Saul. Saul meet everybody. Everybody meet me. I'm Saul. I'm drill man. It's me. It's Saul. No, he's not here. Uh, yeah, I mean this is is awful. It's awful, and you, you could tell. Like again, she knows the end goal. Daniel Faraday has to go to that island, and she has to say whatever she needs to say. And I, I think from that perspective, it is he's so pitiful in this scene as well. Like Faraday, I think, had indignation in their last scene together. Here is he's just broken, right? He's he's you know, even the way he talks about, oh, I probably wouldn't remember if you told me that you were coming ahead of time. It's just so sad. Brutal. And shows yeah. again, much like John Locke, how coming to the island obviously is not gonna end up in good things for him, but also like it does it changes his life forever because it does allow him to be happy again. If, if only for a brief portion of time or at least feel whole again, but the real gut punch is when he says, you know, would that make you proud of me? Mm-hmm. And Eloise knows like, yeah, I, I guess I'm going to have to like emotionally hook this guy into signing his own death warrant. Uh, and there's also the, the pregnant pause that she takes as well. When he asks, you really want me to go? Before she says yes, like you could tell in that moment, there's probably a last minute decision of I could say no. I could say no and see what happens, but I know I can't. If he doesn't go to the island, none of this happens. I have to say yes, no matter how much I may regret it. We are drawn to certain choices, you know? Uh, you get to a moment and you think that you were going to say no and you say yes or the other way around. Like, I think that there, I think one of the reasons this show is so resonant and this episode, especially so haunting 
is I feel like many people, perhaps even most people, know that feeling of like, I should zig, I should zig, I should zig. I'm going to zag. Yep. I'm zagging. Oh, God, I'm zagging. (laughs) Like, why did I zag? Why did I zag? Oh, my God, I can't believe I zagged. I should have zigged, but I zagged. And this is where I live now. Um, I think I think that that is it is it is very evocative of of things that we do as human beings. Um, and so I think that moment is played really, 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 really beautifully well in the writing and the acting in this scene, this final scene um, between Eloise Hawking and her son. This is the last time she's ever going to see him. You yeah. know. Yeah, at least is, in her now, you know. At least, yeah, that's that's what, that's what's implied, right? That like this is the last meeting, and then Faraday signs up to to get on the freighter. I think it's really interesting to have this scene after Daniel talks to Little Charlotte. I think there's a lot of similarities with this idea of someone like Eloise and someone like Adult Faraday feeling like there is something I have to push that I don't want to push, but I know needs to happen, and it's gonna be heart rendering but i need it to happen and i think there's there's again like mother like son in that regard i think he ends up doing in 1977 what she's gonna do probably like 30 you know 27 years later or what have you to her very son so again it's not only about uh it's not only about going full circle i would also say there's a this idea of like ripples in a pond as well which faraday is gonna suggest coming up here in a little bit and i think the echoes that we see in the way Eloise is treating this idea of a path versus what Faraday treats of a path is both dichotomous, but also synonymous. Yeah. Um, Jack is going to be patching up Daniel Faraday. Uh, and I love that this comes so close to the end of the episode. Yeah, uh, like, right. Because like, it's, it's, it's a scare, right? Of like, oh, well, he got shot in the neck, but he's fine. So he's bulletproof in that yeah, regard. So it's like, wow, that was close. Uh, and I think, like, in that way, like, kind of like mirroring some of the feelings around, at least I, I've talked about this a little bit of like what it felt like with, with Charlie back in season one, that they go so close to killing him that they'll never do it. They'll never do mm-hmm. it now. Like, they, they went, they, they could have done it right there. They'll never be able to top it. And then, uh, hold my Dharma beer. Give us a couple seasons and we'll do it. Uh, so they do the same thing here. Like, uh, we could have shot Faraday to death in this moment. Nah, we didn't do that. So he'll be fine. Literally but, five minutes later, you know. But it doesn't help here, right? That Jack says, well, I thought you said whatever happened, happened. And Faraday says, basically explains what Miles tried to explain to Hurley and whatever happened, happened. Like, no, we're still on our timeline. We can get hurt and we can die. So again, even though he has survived this bullet wound, he is going to say, no, we could still die like I might five minutes from now. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it's out there like on the on the tip of the tongue of the show. You know, it's like I may die at the end of the episode. Yeah. And we get a lot of, I think, point of no return talk in this episode, which again is interesting considering that we still have a few episodes left of season five, but you really get this just repeating of this phrase over and over again of like, you know, show's over, our job is done, there's no turning back of, okay, we are moving on from this. Uh, And so even though we're still going to be living with these characters, I think to your point, this episode serves as like a statement from the show of how we are transitioning over the course of a few episodes into something completely new, or at least newer for Lost for its final season. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Sawyer and Juliet back at the house. Uh, 
They're really going through it, Mike, here at the on their their final day in paradise and Juliet's final day anywhere. Uh oh, man. Just about. Yeah, it's, it's wild to think about. Like again, Faraday pointed out this, the next episode and the finale take place over the course of six hours. Uh, which is wild to think about, though again, timey wiminess. But yeah, there's a little bit of trouble in paradise here, right? Like Sawyer is I think he's a little unnerved about what happened. He admits that Juliet ended up being right about how things will never be the same since 815 got back. And even the still got my back, still got mine. There's some tension there, in my Big opinion. Time. I don't know if that, I don't time. know if that's the I guess that's the read, right? It's like the way they talk to each other. It's not as even not they weren't loving to each other when they talked about it in Jughead, but like it feels like there was some support there. Here is sort of like, I love you, I love you, like when you just say it to your your partner but you don't really mean it you say it just because you have to say it that's what this feels like here this feels like james and juliet's i love you said a bit dispassionately in the moment yeah uh yeah it's gotten it's gotten intense it's gotten intense i think it's like a little bit of back to business you know honeymoon's over uh so a little bit you know metaphorical in that regard i Um, I love that her so hurley and Jin are walking they've got everything packed they see radzinski pulling up I think Jin speaks to Korean for the first time since we've seen him in 1977, which I think is a very fun, small detail, right? That, like, again, he's put up the guise of being able to speak English, and the moment the jig is up, he defaults back to Korean. Yeah, uh, they're not going to get involved in this. Here comes Brzezinski and his posse again. Uh, we've been infiltrated. Yeah, he is bellowing. Like, he is furious that, okay, the new recruits have helped Faraday. And then just when LaFleur tries to, like, put out another fire, the first fire comes raging back, and then they hear banging from the closet, the jig is up. The jig is up. Uh, so that's a thing. Uh, as they as they pull a gun on Sawyer, like, he's really busted now. Uh, so that sucks. That sucks for our guys. Uh, meanwhile, back out in the jungle, um, Daniel Faraday at the creek. You know the one. Uh, good to see you, old friend. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to saddle up next to the creek, and Faraday is going to lay out the stakes, because Jack's like, all right, just tell me what you're planning. I've taken you this far. Just take me the rest of the way. And Faraday's like, it's probably a good idea just in case I die in five minutes that somebody knows what I'm about to do. Um, so let's listen in on the plan. Sound number seven. In about four hours... The Dharma folks at the Swan work site, they're going to gonna drill into the ground and accidentally tap into a massive pocket of energy. The result of the release of this energy would be catastrophic. So, in order to contain it, they're going to have to cement the entire area in like Chernobyl. And this containment, the place they built over it, I believe you call it the hatch. The Swan hatch? Because of this one accident, these people are going to spend the next 20 years keeping that energy at bay by pressing a button. A button that your friend Desmond will one day fail to push. And that will cause your plane, Oceanic 815, to crash on this island. And because your plane crashed, a freighter will be sent to this island, a freighter I was on and Charlotte was on and so forth. This entire chain of events, it's going to start happening this afternoon. 
But we can change that. I've studied relativistic physics my entire life. One thing emerged over and over. Can't change the past. Can't do it. Whatever happened, happened. Right? But then, finally realized. I've been spending so much time focused on the constants. I forgot about the variables. Do you know what the variables in these equations are, Jack? No. Us. We're the variables. People. We think, we reason, we make choices. We have free will. We can change our destiny. I think I can negate that energy under this wand. I think I can destroy it if I can. And that hatch will never be built. And your plane, the plane will land just like it's supposed to. In Los Angeles. And just how exactly do you plan on destroying this energy? I'm not that made of hydrogen bomb. Just like that, we have our mission for the next two episodes. It's so cool. It's such a good scene. And I think, like, the like I was going to say, like, the science of it is indefensible. It's like, what, what show are we watching? Like, all of this is totally ridiculous. Yeah, there's a ridiculous. polar bear on a freaking island. So, yeah. there's a, I wouldn't say, like, deleted scene, but extended scene of this, uh, this particular scene, Josh, which is really, really interesting. Uh, first off, that scene in the extended version is done in a different order. The mention of the variables comes before Daniel lists the series of events. Hmm. Uh, and we actually miss out on another Faraday metaphor, nothing about records or songs. He tosses a small stone into the creek, you know, the creek, and says, the creek keeps washing over any pebble thrown into it. A pebble represents a change, a small change. The creek is time. Uh, and then we sort of like fast forward a bit. We talk about the variables. And then, you know, he says, if we just we can't change the past, can't do anything about it, then we don't even bother trying. But if we decide we if we believe that we can change the past, then we don't use pebbles, Jack. And he picks up a big rock. We use boulders and he throws the rock in the creek. See, if you drop a big enough rock into a creek, you create a dam. Right. And then that creek changes. And then he goes into the entire like, and then this happens, this happens, this happens. Uh, Jack says, when you said you could get us back to where we belonged, you weren't talking about where we left from, were you? Daniel says, no, because none of us belonged here in the first place. I think I can negate that energy. I think I can destroy it. If I can, then the hatch will never be built in your plane. Your plane will land just like it's supposed to. None of this happens. And that freighter will never be sent. And finally will be free and i i'm kind of sad we don't get this version josh because i feel like there's a lot of really interesting vocabulary from faraday here well i think that that version of events is less like television you know like i think it's less like um you know dramatized for the sake of a commercial break which this very much is what we get on the show and so it works as like a thrill ride and so i i still love it um what I feel like you're describing is like the kind of thing, like the way that it's originally cut. Like, I feel like that's the kind of way that you see it. Maybe, maybe, 
maybe now or maybe even back then, but like not on ABC. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I feel like you're really allowing um, the viewer to live in the character's existential dread, because I think that the the way it's depicted in in this sequence of events you're describing feels to me a lot less like a plan and a lot more like despair. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. I, feel, I feel like it is it is like. It, it is really if, if and and maybe despair is is the wrong word to to like lean on as the as the as the punctuating of of, of that idea. I I think it could be more that it's like it's very existential. Well, no, I I, I completely agree, and I think that's what I think I'm, I'm missing most from this version. Of and by the way, I should mention that from the commercial break aspect, the finally will be free does get followed up with. And then just how plan, how do you plan on destroying this energy? I'm going to detonate a hydrogen bomb. So it still has yeah. that like bomb aspect to it. But I think I agree. What's, what's in this version of the scene is desperation. Yes. Specifically Faraday's line that freighter will never be sent and finally will be free. Right. Like, that specific last four words I think is so interesting that Faraday is doing this all because he feels like shackled, you know, and he feels like this is the last ditch effort to free everyone in this scene, though. It's more so emphasizing that last ditch more than effort. Right. He has this plan. But to your point, the way that Faraday is phrasing it himself, it's more so like, yeah, we did these little rocks, but maybe if we do a big rock, something will change it all. We all need to do something that will finally be free. And I just find it so intriguing because, again, Faraday's talking about how destiny is poppycock, you know, that you were told one thing, but actually you're not meant to do anything. But he's using so much destiny-driven language here. You know, finally we'll be free. Specifically when he says none of us belonged here in the first place, that sounds so destiny-driven in my opinion. That, like, there is a, a time, a place, and a purpose for everyone. That I find it interesting that he is sort of co-opting that language to his own mindset of, okay, maybe there is a path, but I can change it. And maybe the reason why my life has been terrible so far is because I've, I've been in the wrong creek at this point. I haven't redirected the stream to a happier path for all of us. Like, like you said, the scene is absolutely incredible without this stuff. But just reading it back, I found it really interesting how they re-edited it. And in particular, how there are a couple things that Faraday says that don't make the final edit which I think, to your point, recolor a bit about sort of his state as he's going into his final hours here. Yeah, uh, I think I think they want it to feel heroic. I think they want you to go into this last act feeling the optimism of Faraday and also feeling like the danger and the intrigue that I think at this moment that the vibe of, oh, my God, what is this mad scientist? Thing? Like, I think like. I think they want to sink you in like the uh the the like the the provocative ideas that Faraday is tossing out. I think that's what they want to be the predominant feeling right now. Yeah. So that I when he does get so. killed, it's going to be like a real swerve. And like that now is like very dangerous as well. Well, um, I mean, this is so this is major in so many ways. This is by far the biggest stakes we have ever seen in the history of the show. You know, getting off the island is small bananas compared to we are going to change the past so that we never landed on the island and the show never existed in the first place. That is a wild end goal 
that's to not have. just and like I, a commercial break. Like that's the end of an episode. It feels like you know, like yeah. that is that is like such a such. A, I mean, like it will be like the cliffhanger of season five for sure. Like, did it work? You know, um, but like it is, it is such a. It is like, oh, is that what this whole show is about? Making it so that none of it happened. Right, it's changing the fundamental DNA of the show. This is what everything we've experienced from day dot has the possibility of just being completely erased so that they they start over anew. They are absolutely wild circumstances. And I got to say, when I was watching season five, Josh, like, again, like I said, there was some stuff in the middle here where I was sort of like, okay, this is fine. This reinvigorated the hell out of me. Um, Oh, my God. Are they actually going to do this? I think it's, it's just... It's a grandiose plan that, of course, doesn't end up necessarily doesn't end up happening because it's it's a wild idea and whatever happened happened. But even the proposition of it understandably has these characters working overtime in the next two episodes, and it's a game changing proposition for everything we know about the show up to this point. Um, all right, let's go back to two thousand seven. Uh, we're going to resume some of the talks between Penny and Eloise and finding out about Daniel Faraday and, and, and things like that. And Eloise is going to apologize. I'm sorry about what's happened to your husband. He's become a casualty in a conflict that is much bigger than him or any of us. And for the first time in a long time, I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, so let's, let's talk about this. You brought up the Loki comparison, Josh, big, she who remains energy from Eloise Hawking here, right? We've crossed yes. the threshold. Yeah, and you know what I think uh, is is compelling to me. We never we never really know uh, where she goes with all of this, right? Because we never really check back. Other than this yeah. scene and this final scene that she's going to have with uh, with Charles Widmore here, we never come back to Eloise in the present. We come back right. to this version of Eloise in the sideways, and I think that there are things to glean from that. And I think that that will be a fun conversation to have. Like, what kind of context clues do we get from what her life is like after her life? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, what what did she what did she gain? What did she learn? I think like you know from that like you get a lot of the sadness of like in in the sideways. She loves her son. She encourages her son. She knows like. Okay, it didn't work. You died, and it 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 was always going to be that way. And I chose to continue to uphold that cycle. Well, here we are now in this afterworld, and I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to hold on to you with all like all the love that I've got that I denied you and denied myself. I shall give you now. Um, but it would have been interesting to me maybe to to check back in with her in the context of the show itself. Like if we're getting Charles Widmore coming back to the island in the final season. I think it would have been cool to get Eloise Hawking back on the island as well. I agree, especially because she's such a mysterious character. I mean, let me float out what I think, and I'm I'm happy to be disproven by season six in the Flash Sideways because I think it's really dark. Josh, I think there is a non-zero possibility that after all this, Eloise Hawking commits suicide. Uh, I think there's this idea of this is a scene where like she realizes just how big the scheme of things are. She's realizing the collateral damage that has amassed, you know, like she says, I do think she is sincere in apologizing to Penny for what happened to Desmond. And I think a lot of it is, is, you know, coming into picture for her, her job is done. She got Ajira back on the Island so that they could go back in time. Like her purpose has been fulfilled. And I wonder if seeing what happened to Desmond 
combined with just sort of the mounting reminders of what happened to her son and what she sent him off to do drives her down a really dark path, especially when she feels like that destiny has been fulfilled. And maybe to that point, the height of despair she experiences at the end of her life segues perfectly into the flash sideways where that does happen, where she's able to like embrace her son. Yes, it doesn't work, but now there's an environment where, like she said, she doesn't know what's going to happen next. And that's another thing as well, is, is maybe it's this idea of, well, I don't know what's going to happen next. There is relief there, but there's also fear there. I don't know. It's, it's something that, that I have been chewing on for a bit. I could see a situation where if she feels like her, her role has been filled and sort of looking back on everything she has had to do in response of that role, it overwhelms her to the part where she feels like she does not need to be in this world anymore. I think regardless of what happens next, uh, you could definitely sense that, like, it's not happy. You know, yeah. I think, like, the way that, like, you know, there is, like, a real, like, there's, like, big Ben Linus energy to her in the sideways uh, of, like, uh, you know, like, I'm I'm going to stay here a while. Like, I can't come in uh, type of stuff to Ben, like, I think is very evident with Eloise. And I think that that is, like, it's the mark of a character here who... Uh, has not resolved everything who who yeah. has who has left a lot of regret behind and not that everyone who moves on in the end doesn't you know end their like natural lives in that same way like i think um you know i don't think saeed is like fulfilled you know i don't think that <laughs> jin and son are fulfilled uh i don't think john Locke is fulfilled at the end of it um but i think that there is a, a, like there's a lot that's instructive about who these people were and now are once they wake up and they kind of have the picture of what their life was like, that some of them are like, that was enough. If not like that was beautiful. Some of them are like, that was enough. And now I can rest Uh, for Eloise, whatever came out, like she didn't like, you know, start dating probably, you know, like she didn't start going to movies more often. Uh, She like has this vibe about her when we meet her in, in the, in the final season in, in this context, that's like not, not, not full, not whole. Um, so whatever comes next, I mean, there's like a dark part of me that thinks that like this final conversation that, and just to talk this part through when she and Widmore have that moment, it's a great scene. I really love seeing her and Alan Dale together. Uh, and when she like slaps him, when it's revealed that, you know, he was my son too. Uh, and like the things that they've both felt yeah, they've the, the, sacrificed. The fact that when claims like, oh, I had to sacrifice my relationship with Penny and Eloise is like, I raised a yeah. boy, your boy, who I sent off to his death. Don't tell me that. And of course, Widmore's going to be an ass about it, right? Like the fact that he reveals that, you know, he's my son too. I'm sure that Eloise feels in that moment. No, no, he's not. Right. You have not done anything in this boy's life uh, to quote, you know, an MC much bereaved MCU character. Like he may be your father, but he wasn't your daddy. Right. Yeah. Part of me wonders, like does Woodmore have Eloise killed here or something like mm. that? You know, like, uh, like I think that there's a lot, like you can, you can, you can let your mind wander about what <laughs> happens do, next to these characters. Do you think he's like, uh, so now that, you know, everything's cool here, uh, you know, do you, you want to, uh, Exactly. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Maybe there's a non-zero chance that happens. So we skipped over something here. Desmond's yes. okay. Desmond's alive. He's um, alive. Which I thought I, I lost you. I another, promised Penny I would never leave you again. Yeah. Henry Ann Cusick does a great job. He does like a small head shake when she says, you know, I thought I'd lost you. And he like briefly shakes his head and just his simplicity of, I promised you, Penny. 
super sweet. Again, I, I'm, I'm, you know, the Desmond storyline is a little too minimalistic for me, but I'm glad he's alive. And it's also a really great twin destiny thing where the beginning of the variable, Desmond looks to be on his way to meet death. Faraday is alive and well. Yeah. Now it's the opposite. I love how yeah. those perspectives change. That yeah, we, like, we get everything Faraday, on its like, head. Comes roaring back onto the island, right? It, like filled with so much energy, filled with so much story, and he comes back. And for Desmond, it feels like this dude, the constant, is on his way out. Uh, and now he's back, and he's filled with so much, so much promise. And now, uh, as we we're about to get into with sound number eight, it is the opposite for Daniel Faraday. Let's listen into the end of the episode. This is a mistake. He's talking about erasing everything that's ever happened to us, Jack. It's insane. We just appeared off a plane in midair and ended up in 1977. Getting kind of used to insane. Wish me luck. Wait, hey. let him go. Let him go. Back up. Step away. It's okay. Nobody move. I only want to speak to Eloise. Where is Eloise? Come on, where is she? I'm sorry, but Ella... She's not here right now. Do we know each other? It doesn't matter. I need you to take me to Eloise. Yeah, I already told you she's not here, so let's just take it Where's in. the bomb, Richard? The hydrogen bomb that I told you people to bury, where is it? Listen to me. Lower your gun, and we'll talk, okay? Nobody has to get hurt here. Just put the gun down. I'm going to give you three seconds. One. Don't do this. Two! Why did you do that? He had a gun on you. He wasn't going to shoot me, Eloise. was gonna happen and he, he, he sent me here anyway who are you I'm your son It's the most tragic ending in lost history. 
it's it's brutal it's so so brutal it's just like bone chilling uh yeah. it's just like it just like uh it is like that like cold feeling in your stomach uh that comes yeah. with just that, like that he has as well because there's blood pooling in it before we get to the the faraday stuff though i want to touch briefly on where that sound starts because I think it's actually a really great indicator of the shape of things to come. Obviously, like Jack and Kate literally take a backseat to Daniel Faraday through the latter part of this episode. But we're start we're gonna start to get some stuff here, right? Where Kate turns to Jack and is like, This is ridiculous. They're gonna, you know, undo everything that we've done here, which I think is going to lead to their sort of like schism of how they feel about things. You know, we're gonna get to that in the incident, right? Of like would you be better if we hadn't met each other, right? If we just landed at LAX. And Jack responds by saying, I'm getting kind of used to insane. And it's a good reminder of Jack's transition that really started with 316, or at least was pushed on by 316, and how Jack, Mr. Man of Science, is now saying, I'm getting kind of used to insane. We're a far cry here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I really like that. I like where Jack is at at this point. Uh, I think that the dynamic between Jack and Kate in this scene on their way up is is pretty good. Um, and we're gonna get like a a really big follow through on that. Um, in the in the uh, very early on in in follow the leader. Can't remember if it's first scene or not. Um, but mm-hmm. we will get like their whole other side to this conversation basically uh, before Faraday uh, goes and, and uh, gets killed um, and walks into walks into the hostile camp firing a gun. I think it's clear. Uh-oh. Never give Daniel Faraday a gun ever. Either he'll wave it around when he's trying to be peaceful or he'll make his entrance by just firing into a camp of individuals. Yeah. It's so, so, so grim. It's just like, it's horrible to watch every single time. He doesn't even do the full count. He gets shot before the three, and he's not going to shoot anybody. And I, I feel love like- that. That's a, that's such a great callback to the metronome, though, right? That, like, yeah. he spends his, he's spent his life counting. He couldn't finish the count. He yeah. can't finish the mission that he's going to carry out. Yeah. Oh God! And just it's, the the heart the heartbreak that Jeremy Jeremy Davies does a really great he sells job it last so thing. well he really Spe- really does specifically the you knew you always knew is just like your heart shatters and she moment, says right? who are you and he says I'm your son and then he looks those, at the camera and goes Daniel, Daniel Faraday. And those yeah, are his he last looks right words, at the camera and he looking dies down the barrel the of the camera. <laughs> he died how he lived, looking directly into the camera. Um, it's for sure. It's for sure tragic. I I think this is darker than expose. I really, really do. Here's my question, and because expose be is pu- funny, like that's funny, like it's it's you know, it will be dark if we we all, I don't want to relitigate this. I don't want to do another full well, circle thing the, and go well, back to. We expose. are in the moment, you know. This is the ending. You know? Yeah, this but what one. I will say, what I will propose is, and maybe this is a podcast we do after the whole shebang is done. I wonder where is this a Mount Rushmore ending of a lost episode? So there can only be. Four. That's the problem. I don't know. Yeah, I don't no, think, is, I don't, this the, is this on the four toes of the endings? Because like, there's so many good ones. No, I don't think it is. I don't know. It, that's so tough to do when you're when Mount Rushmore only having four heads. So unfair. Well, blame North <laughs> so Dakota. Unfair. I know. Oh man. Um. So I don't. I don't know. Uh. But it. But it is intense. It is awful. It is deeply, deeply, deeply upsetting, uh, and it should be all of these things. Yeah. Um, and it also just like 
adds this huge uh, element of like fragility, this idea that we are on the thinnest of ice moving forward. And like, it is a, it is a very valuable reminder that like, just because a character was in the two thousands doesn't mean they cannot die in 19 in the 1970s. Um, and like they deliver on that too, by what happens to Juliet, like that um, an important Mm -hmm. character will still die today, you know? Um, so yeah, it's just, it's so rough, Mike. It's so Not rough. only that, but it sets up this idea where Faraday was trying to essentially provide this idea of a happy ending for everyone, right? Of, I can make it so that you never come to this island in the first place, and you don't have all this suffering, and you move on with your lives. And Daniel Faraday himself, his death shows that in this case, with very few exceptions, there are no happy endings in this realm, right? Again, the entire the end is going to be about how everyone finds their happy ending, happily ever after, off the island. But this is a terrible ending for the guy who just said, I can make sure that we have that happy, this resolution. For him to learn in his final moments of existence that this was his entire purpose, that he was pushed and pushed and pushed where it was never enough to do all this work, to have people die closest to him, to go through all this heartbreak and all this mental fatigue only to get shot and killed by his own mother is just incredibly morose. Your mileage may vary on ending. I think this might be one of the best deaths in all of Lost because of not only the shock factor, but what it represents in the moment. This idea of... Here's this character, Samuel L. Jackson, standing at the edge of the tide pool saying, we're going to kill the sharks. We all just got to stick together. Shark comes out and eats him. Daniel Faraday walks around saying, we can do this. We can change destiny. We might have to be a little careful, but I'm ready to, to you know, come in with renewed life. And his life immediately ends. It is an incredible ending for the character. We talked about how full circle it is. We talked about how a man that was all about time travel uh, and sort of figuring out the variables and the constants, of course, would die in a way that he would not expect. If the variables are people, he got killed by maybe the biggest variable of them all in the form of his own mother, someone he didn't even expect. He was walking in thinking she was a constant, that he'd have a conversation with her, and instead she becomes a variable. It's just, it's an incredible ending, in my opinion, and just such a fantastically brutal way for this particular character to die. Yeah. Co-signed on all of that. Um, just absolutely, absolutely amazing. Uh, really, really, really love how it goes down. Uh, it's a 4.2 episode very easily. Same. I, I think that it's, it's just got a lot going on. There isn't an extraneous scene. I think even the stuff in 2007, again, I talked about how much I love how they set up Desmond versus Faraday in so many ways as the bookend of this episode. And it's also a way to sort of, again, when you see that Eloise Widmore scene, she gets interrupted before, you know, she talks about what I went through. But when you know the circumstances, it's that much of a heavier scene. So I think there's just so much great stuff going on. I think there's a lot of emotionality in Jeremy Davies' performance specifically. I think he really carries this episode on his back. It's a perfect episode of Lost, in my opinion. And maybe it might be my only 4.2 of the season. Wow. Even with uh, the incident coming up. Interesting. We'll talk about it. I I have have a quibble with the incident that we'll we'll get into in a couple weeks. Yeah. 
Part of me thinks this is defiance uh, to counterbalance my love for season five. Is the, <laughs> it's just me being like, no, mm-hmm, I got to harsh yes. your groove, man. Yes, I, a part of me feels like that's what's going on. As we say, as I give the, the variable a 4.2. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Are the hatchlings, so we got an average of 3.8. I think they're, they're a little more all over the board than you may think for an episode that Josh and I absolutely adore. At this moment, we have like... I don't think anyone has given it a 4.2 so far. I've seen as low as a 3.4, and I've seen as high as a, th- as a 4.1. That's wild to me. Um, interesting. It may be a function of we're recording this in, in the batch, so people are just like waiting to do it in their, right. their so watch some through. People like, have, yeah, some people like to watch the episode right before the podcast comes out, so they haven't watched the variable, maybe. For sure. For sure. We have like a bunch of scores that are still not in right now. So uh, I think that that is, uh, that is entirely possible. Um, I think that the variable will score some 4.2s, uh, but it is with that 3.8 from the audience. It's a 4.07 overall. So it's just shy of LaFleur is still at the top of the season rankings right now. Yeah. But again, of only the episode rankings for the three, season, three one hundredths separate them. We'll see what happens as time passes, as time finishes for Faraday. But Man, just like an absolute powerhouse of an episode to, I think, knock home and drive these characters forward for the last two. Um, all right. So that's the that's the 4.2 stars. We will reserve feedback for a future episode of the podcast. Um, let's do the MVP LVPs. Mike, I've got three MVPs. You've got two. You've got three LVPs. I've got two. Uh, let's just kick, give, give it the poor one out. Uh, Daniel Faraday, come on down. Let's give this poor guy an MVP point. It's such a yeah. rough way to go. I'll give him one as well. I think it's partially due to Jeremy Davies' performance. And also, again, he is... You could say, okay, does it get an LVP point because ultimately he's wrong? But if he doesn't do what he does, like the incident, this doesn't push them to to make the incident happen. Right. right? So again, it's sort of meaningless whether he does, whether he's wrong or not. And the fact that you could say maybe he deserves an MVP point for help pushing people to cause the incident, in a manner of speaking, uh, albeit accidentally. So I, I think that Faraday is worthy of a couple of MVP points here in his final episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, I uh, am going to give one to Desmond for living, for being alive. <laughs> Good idea. The bare minimum here for Desmond. Uh, that's going to put him at... So he was in, what, four episodes of season five, and he ends up with three points overall. So he basically got, like, MVP points in every episode he was in this season. Yeah, good for Desmond. You know, Desmond's the best. Uh, he got shot. He made it. Uh, I'm happy. Saul the Drillman. We don't have... A, we'll have no other chances to give Saul the Drillman Ooh, an true. MVP point. I'm giving it to him. I want him. I want him honored here forever. Just in case we ever do anything with any of this stuff, I don't want to forget Saul the Drillman. This is my chance to give him an MVP. Well, here's the thing. I'm sure once we end the series, we're going to go through the entire MVP LVP list. And to that point, I want him etched on that memorial, right? Like I want a memory incarnate of this character that we came up with at the very beginning of season five, all those weeks ago. And I think if he doesn't exist on this chart, do we remember him? And so I think he's got to he's got to write his his entry in the journal here. So I'm all for it. I'm going to give my final MVP point. I don't know if this is controversial or not because she's certainly going to earn LVP points, uh, including from me. I'm going to do what I did with Ben in Dead Is Dead. I'm going to give a point to Eloise Hawking just because when you watch under the circumstances of what she had to do, the fact that she actually went through with it, I think, does deserve kudos. 
Granted, you know, you might question her methods. Did she really have to push Daniel away so much? I think that was for her own benefit a bit again, so it wasn't as terrible for her. And even then, it still was pretty terrible. And ultimately, she does succeed. She keeps Daniel on the path and is able to convince him to go to the island and kickstart everything into motion. So I think this is a big episode for Fiona Flanagan and uh, the middle stage and uh, middle stage uh, Eloise that we're going to see in this episode. So I think even though she's going to earn a couple of LVPs here, I think she deserves at least one MVP for actually succeeding in her mission as sad as it may be. Um, I think that that's totally fair. I think that that's really well reasoned. I'm going to give her an LVP point for killing her son. And I'm going to give her an LVP point for that as well. Uh, I, <laughs> I know that that's going to leave her with a negative one, but she also shoots and kills her son. I feel like that is a major, major event that she's going to have m- massive regrets for as soon as next episode. Yeah, uh, I think that those LVP points are deserved. Um, I think that the Eloise that we get uh, next week is a really great character to talk about, though. Uh, so I'm excited about it. While giving uh, an LVP to Eloise for shooting her son with my second LVP point, I don't think that he uh, should go without blame here as Charles Widmore, uh, mm. who who also is pushing his son to go to the island, uh, and not just because he needs him for his expedition, probably, but also because of uh, what comes next. Uh, and he is doing his role in um, in maintaining the time loop and getting getting Faraday back to the island and everything. So it, if we're going to blame Eloise for like the role in encouraging th- these events to happen, I feel like we gotta got to throw some blame at Charles Whitmore as well. Especially because Charles Whitmore comes in and is just like, uh, like I said before, sort of has the audacity to be like, well, he's my son too, even though he has, outside of that research grant, it seems like he's done nothing in Faraday's life, whether it was Eloise or Winmore's choice, like he has actively not been a part of Daniel Faraday's life. So he comes in with a tood in his couple of scenes here. So I think, listen, you're never going to argue with me to give Charles Winmore an LVP point. And to that point, Josh, I'm going to use this as an excuse to give an LVP point to uh, one of your favorites. Radzinski is getting one here. <laughs> Good. He lets them escape. He lets them get away. Yeah. And also he sucks. And if he's in an episode, I want him to be eligible for LVP points. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I do believe, actually, with that, both Widmore and Radzinski have now passed Ben. They're tied at negative seven points apiece at the bottom of the LVP charts. Let's go from the bottom to the top here. I don't know if this is controversial. I think I'm going to give an LVP point to Sawyer. Because I, huh. I think now we realize that the whole knock... Like, we all talked about this last week, right? Like... Was it smart for him to immediately knock out Phil? And I think things are falling apart for him. And it's almost like, in retrospect, the the things that he is doing and the fact that everything is unraveling is not a great look for the character this week. Again, for someone who has had an incredible season so far, this is the moment where he's caught flat-footed, and I think that deserves some acknowledgement. Yeah, um, I think that that's... Uh, I think that that's fair. And also he's just been riding high. So I'm not going to like get mad at you uh, dinging him here uh, this close to the end of the line. Let's see how he does with these next couple of episodes, because right now Sawyer is out there in the lead, but the late great John Locke has eight MVP points to Sawyer's nine right now. How is that going to hold? Yeah. So if, if Sawyer falls one point, he and Locke are going to be probably... Well, actually, no. I don't know if they'll be co-MVPs, because, again, we have Smokey right behind with six. There's a good chance if he gets a couple points in these next two episodes, 
we might see Smokey, like Bobby Fink this, come from behind and end up being the top finisher for season five. I think it's possible. It is a really competitive space right now, and I think that's exciting. Uh, I love that coming here into the uh, into the end of the season. And we are close. Uh, coming next, follow the leader, the penultimate episode of season five. I want to give a, a little bit of a warning. There is an outside shot that this podcast is going to be delayed and will be one of the first, maybe the first time we'll, we would miss a, uh, a Friday release. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if, if it, if it comes to that, I hope it doesn't. I think we're going to be okay. But just so you all know, it is, it is a possibility that we are going to be, uh, a little late on follow the leader. We are aiming to not have that be the case. But if you wake up next Friday, if you listen to these, the days they come out, uh, and you don't have, a down the hatch in your feed uh it's scheduling stuff on my end trying to make this work i think we're going to be fine but just so you're not like where is it yes yeah, so uh, you're not daniel faraday like oh my god it was you yeah. it's not here all along yes i think we're gonna be okay here in case we are not uh just the heads up um but get your feedback in uh down the hatch at post show recaps dot com uh we would love to get that feedback from you for follow the leader you definitely can get it in on time for that recording um so please send it in our way follow the leader which i think is uh probably viewed as like another as you love to say a nothing burger but we've been through this before mike uh these like (sighs) final uh you know like pre-finale episodes that are really like uh deck setters you know yeah the penultimate episodes of lost are weird we, there's a whole, you know, between we had we started off uh, on a on a kind of a low note with Born to Run. Three minutes is a weird one. Uh, you know, Greatest Hits is incredible, uh, but you could say more so is like part one of a three part finale. Cabin Fever, I know you had your issues with, but I think is a strong episode. So we've been on a pretty good beat. Follow the leader. It's I think it's safe to say it's moving the chains. I think uh, after this big blow up that happened in the variable. We're going to get some plot moving forward as Jack moves forward with now his new purpose. Sawyer and Juliet figure out what happens now that the jig is up. And meanwhile, in 2007, you know, Locke's going to present his own mission to Ben. Let's go and kill Jacob. So it's a it's an important setup for what's to come in the incident. But I'm intrigued to see just looking at it as an episode. How much water is it going to hold? Yeah, I'm excited to really get into it. Uh, we're in that final stretch here of season five. It's exciting times here on Down the Hatch. Happy birthday to us. Ah! My this God. Is amazing. Do, do you think Eric Divestein remembered to wish Down the Hatch a happy birthday? I mean, at this point, we're recording early <laughs> and early, early, even the time this is being released. So I certainly hope so. I hope he uh, covered his bases. But yeah. I mean, let me let me just say again. Two years going strong. It is wild. Just think, that's two-thirds of the amount of time Desmond spent on the island. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just, think about that. We have been here at our microphones pushing random buttons as well. And I, I cannot express how much of an immense pleasure it has been. And this has certainly been, uh, I think, the most raw and upfront I have been about myself and the love I have for this show that has unlocked so much of my love for pop culture in general. And it's a scary place to be. You leave yourself open like Daniel Faraday walking into the hostiles camp. But due to the hatchlings who, for some reason, tolerate you and I Gavin, for hours on end every week and support it, become patrons, give us Barrick's Darmdarian fan art, uh, send us in Lindelofs. It is 
truly, truly amazing. And it, it wouldn't happen without you here, Josh. You were you were the Daniel Faraday of this. You were the one driving forward. Am I getting shot? Shocked, maybe. I yeah, hope. you are shocked. You're shocked by the amount of love I you're am, getting right now. I am. I'm. I'm hopefully not getting shot, but I am shocked that we're still doing this <laughs> to some degree. I really am. Uh, but like, totally delighted uh, simultaneously that that uh, people have come along for the ride and uh, and and have you know been a part of this journey, uh, moving this thing forward. Uh, it's just been an utter pleasure to do. Um, I'm really, really excited as we are here in in the home stretch. Even as like we are starting to get into like does lost lose its way type of territory. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really excited for those conversations. I'm excited to yep. spend some time with these characters and their like final moments, uh, both in life for some of them and then on the show uh, for all of them. Um, it's just it's an utter pleasure each and every week. It's 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 my favorite thing. It's my favorite show and getting to like have like two hour plus conversations about it every single week with you, Mike, has just been such a joy. So thanks to yeah. everybody who's made that possible. It's just been amazing. Absolutely Completely great. I, I do not know how I could appreciate loss in so many different contexts, but getting to talk it over, getting to look at it again through a very different lens than who I was even the last time I watched the show, especially hearing from you all, reading you all, everybody reading these stories about, you know, this episode aired when, you know, this this life moment happened to me. Hearing about your lost fandom stories, your random stories about lost through the years. It is wild to me that this show is, you know, going on a decade since it's ended. But it is such a fervent fan base that really shows how much of a special show it was. That we have all these memories connected with it. It is such a part of our pop culture repertoire in so many ways that we can forgive those that said, oh, I guess they were dead the whole time. We can shake our heads courteously and say, no, 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 it's much more special than that. And thank you to everyone who's reached out to us. I know that people have said this podcast has served as a real buoy to them, I think, in, as I mentioned before, a really tempestuous couple of years for the world. And I got to say, it's reciprocal. Uh, I think doing this podcast, being able to track, I think, our own lives for the podcast as well is incredibly interesting. And in all the variables that have existed throughout our two years and down the hatch, this is an amazing constant to have. 100% agreed. Could not agree even a little bit harder if I tried because it is so hard the way that I agree. It is incredible. Uh, we you are can't going even to... drill through it. That's how no, hard it is. No, it's just, it's it's impossible. I can't even get through. I've been trying. I've been using my diamond tip drill and it's not even working. It's unbelievable. I love you guys. You guys are doing great work here. You talk oh, about so... me every week. It's so good. Oh, you're not just buttering us up because we gave you an MVP point. No, are you? no, I'm I'm very, very grateful. I never would have expected it. I kind of figured I'd just like go the way of my cousin DJ Dom, uh, who you guys don't talk about quite as much. Wait, we just anymore. made a reference to him in this episode. I know, and he. I'm gonna call him after this, and I'll tell him, and he's it's gonna be your like, cousin, "Oh, they Saul remember the drill man." Yeah, yeah, DJ Dom and and me, Saul. We're just you know we're just cousins out here we hope that you guys remember us when it's all done we will and hopefully you all remember us because again we still have a little bit more to go but you know when we're tracking like lost landmarks in terms of our watch through this is definitely one of them i know it's outside of the the lost show proper but this is the 100th episode and it's sort of a reminder to us we've got less than four months on this puppy to go or a little bit over four months you know we we are truly reaching the final stretch of episodes it's crazy. It's wild. I can't wait for it. We'll be back with our next podcast. It's going to be Follow the Leader. 
Follow along with everything we are doing to make sure you don't miss any of it. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ron Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. There's so much more that we are doing in the podcast universe. We'll tweet about it. You'll see it. Make sure you check out everything that's happening on Post Show Recaps. If you're a patron of Post Show Recaps, we're so grateful for that. You get down the hatch a couple days early. We hope that you enjoy that early access. We'll be back next week with more Follow the Leader. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.